And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disney won't stop. Hope Molinex and Chris Honeywell have finished Clone Wars twice and Rebels once. Now they move on to Resistance and beyond. I'm Gene Gene, the MC Machine, and this is J-Guys and Jedi. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast talking about something Star Wars. I am Hope Monix, I am your host, and normally Chris would be with me today, but... We'll get to that in a second. I would like to say that I am joined this week by my great friend, and I'm so excited to be here with me. She's the co-host of Behind the Blast Doors Live and the Geeky Waffle Networks, as well as a writer and reviewer of Star Wars books over on her website, rzud2.com. Welcome to the show, my friend, Arzu Amen. How are you doing, love? I am good, Hope. How are you? Tired. Well, <laughs> Hope just ran the fabulous Rebels Remembered, for those of you who have been living under a geode-shaped rock. <laughs> yeah, and then and I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, because it was really a lot of fun. I just, uh, I was not estimating how much um, it would take, it took out of me. So now I know, and I'm like ready for next year, and I'm just going to like go ahead and like know it now, and it's going to be great. So, yes. Um, so, so you guys, you might be wondering why Chris isn't here. Um, we, we got to talking, me and him, and we were discussing how there is just so many things in Star Wars that I would love to cover on the show, but, like, you guys know that he's not a big book fan, he's not really into the books, he, he's fine with the comics, but he doesn't read them and stuff like that, and then there's topics like Thrawn, who I love, and I thought it'd be fun just to do a series with other guests so we can, like, cover these topics, and so... If, if anybody can see my and Arzu's DMs at any time, you can just see us just being like, oh, my God, the High Republic. And I just wanted to talk with somebody about the High Republic because I'm just so excited about it. And I really enjoy what they're doing. So um, I don't want to call this a mini series with Jay Guys and Jedi, but, you know, every once in a while we're going to be doing this together um, with me and like other guests to talk about the show. And I just couldn't think of anybody better to have on this episode with me than you. I'm so excited to talk High Republic. Like. So, so excited. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I do have a question for you. Yes. If somebody has never watched Behind the Blasters Live or has listened to the Geeky Waffle or has been to rzd2.com, what are they? What are they missing? Okay. So, Beyond Blasters Live is a live weekly, like, news style show that just covers Star Wars. So some of it is speculation, some of it is like current events, sometimes we have special guests, and that's that's essentially what it is. It's me and my two co-hosts, we'll have like three topics, we'll just deep dive for an hour on Wednesday nights, just live on YouTube. And then It's a uh, lot of fun, you guys, really. Yeah. It's, a, it's always a fun discussion, like last week we had, you know, our live chat was really engaged, so that was, that was a lot of fun, it really like feeds the energy. Mm-hmm. And then over at the Geeky Waffle, we've got... We've got a few things going on. So we have the main flagship show, which is sometimes it's reviews. Sometimes we're doing, um, I guess, podcast essay style stuff. So we just recorded an episode on enemies to lovers as a trope, what it is and what it isn't, which I led because I am deeply passionate about enemies to lovers. Yeah. And then we have uh, we have our spinoff series. 
series, um, Straight Out Home Video, which Hope has actually appeared on, and it's a fabulous episode. Please give it a listen. She was talking with <laughs> Candace and Brie about The Lion King 2. Candace found out that people think that uh, animals are hot. <laughs> we had we had this whole thing with Candace um, prior to one of our other shows where she did not understand the Kovu thing, and every other person in the show was like, I don't understand why you don't get this. So, I know, so you're not alone, Hope. <laughs> It's okay. I think I've kind of accepted I'm like a secret furry because everybody I want to <laughs> fuck in Star Wars is like Zeb. <laughs> so it's fine. I'm secretly a furry. Whatever. Fine. It's fine. And then, yeah. And then we do, uh, we do live streams with the waffle as well. So things like um, we just covered WandaVision and we're going to cover all the upcoming Marvel and Star Wars shows. So Falcon and Winter Soldier, Bad Batch, and then Loki. And we did like a Mando night thing prior to this so so that's what's going on over at the waffle and i write on their blog as well and segueing into writing there is my own site rzudt2.com and it started as a general blog and then i'm like i kind of need to focus and we're also going into quarantine so this was about a year ago and then i was like well why don't i just review all of the books on my bookshelf starting somewhere and we'll just get through my whole shelf by the time we're out of quarantine i'm like let me just start with star wars it's march now i'll be done by june I'm not done yet. And I it's one or two books a week and I'm still not done. So that should give you an idea of of the volume. But it's exciting now because um, now that the main run of adult YA and uh, middle grade books are done, now it's kind of the new books as they come out. And I've got a once a month special, I guess, series ongoing with a friend of mine who is a early modern drama lecturer. And the two of us are going through all of the William Shakespeare's Star Wars books together. So it's nice because I've got the like the, the canon side of things and she's got like the theater background. So we're putting that together. And I'm particularly proud of that series. So, yeah, that's, that's what's so going cool. on. My <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, I actually um, I, I really enjoy your I'm still working through like your blogs over on rzd2.com. Um, but what I really appreciate is that you really pointed out a lot of things about High Republic that I kind of missed. Um, it never hit me about, like, the colonization aspect of the Republic until I read it on your side. I was like, yes, it is. That is exactly what this is. <laughs> yeah. And I I really enjoy your perspective a lot because you definitely catch a lot of things that I, I don't. So. Well, it's, like, it's likewise. Like, it's when, like, when I talk animation with you, I'm like, okay, that happened. And you're like, but did you see this? And I'm like, I did not. <laughs> and then you'll dive a lot deeper in. So it's it's just the it's the perspectives, right? I just really am happy to see your face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just happy to be talking to you. Uh, talking with girls. So great. <laughs> I'm so used to having a male co-host. I'm just like, you mean I have someone to get thirsty on the show with me? And it's not just Chris going, oh, geez. <laughs> and thirsty we will get because, oh, boy. Yeah. Oh so so what are your first impressions? Just kind of, uh, I guess I should date this episode. So, so far, um, I guess this is like the end of like phase one, right? Phase one actually is apparently going to extend into next year. This is just round one of phase one. Round one. Okay. So at the time of this recording, um, Light of the Jedi, Into the Dark, A Test of Courage has come out. And then we're three issues into the High Republic comic and two into the High Republic Adventures, right? Yeah. And then I know there's two short stories that came out in um, the Star Wars Insider. I haven't read those. Neither have I. 
Okay, cool, cool. That's, I'm also know. waiting for the waiting for the comic um, trade paperback because my plan had just been to get them digitally on the Marvel app or wherever IDW makes things available digitally. And I'm just so excited about this new era. I'm like, no, I kind of want, I kind of want a nice bound print version of this. So, so I pre-ordered um, those and I'm waiting for them. I'm probably going to be trading in my, um, my floppies, uh, floppies being single issues, uh, my floppies in for a trade paperback because um, I, I used to run a comic book store, so I just can't, I don't like digital comics. So I've been, I found a nice little store in Atlanta that I've been hanging out with and they're so great and I love them to get. So, uh, so what are your first um, impressions of the High Republic so far? So I love that it's, it's just so fully removed from the Skywalkers and their drama. I, I love me a Skywalker, you know that, but it, I feel like it was starting to get to the point where we're, we're churning in the same pot for too long, adding too much seasoning to the same dish. And it's just like, it's starting to taste weird. So I like that we're moving away from like, give it a little room to breathe. Let the, let the, let it all settle a bit and then we can visit that era again. And I do, I do sort of like being so thoroughly removed that like it's, it's a star Wars period piece. You know what I mean? Which, which, which I find fascinating. Yes, I, which I, I, yes, I do know what you mean. Cause I've read your Marshawn Rowe corset ripping piece. Fan fiction, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just just a little corset ripping. I was so good. I was like, yes, those titties are out now. <laughs> It. <laughs> no but I, I totally get what you said because it does feel like um it's it is a different era it's 250 years which on one hand it doesn't feel like it's that far removed but it's it's enough removed that you can really see the downfall between like where the high republican is and the prequel trilogy jedi which are so similar, but they're also so vastly different. And I'm just wait, waiting to, like, that, that's what I'm the most excited about, is watching how they fell. Because there's some... Oh, I guess I should go ahead and say, because I'm a great co-host and sound professional about all this, we're talking spoilers in this show. Um, there will be spoilers for the books and everything. Um, so many other people have done spoiler-free stuff. So I, I would highly suggest uh, our buds over at... Friends of the Force, they've done spoiler-free reviews. Um, go check out Brian and Sarah, because they are doing a really great job with their High Republic coverage. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Allergies. <laughs> but um, I, I'm really... That's where I'm, I want to know. I want to know, like... And, and it, it's kind of like watching Season 7 of Clone Wars. We know the end story for Rex and Ahsoka... But it's a telling of the journey of how to get there. So going into this, we know the end story for these Jedi, but it's the how do we get there that's really fascinating to me because we have stuff like the Starlight Beacon. Where is it? We know it's not in the prequel era. Where is that going to be? And seeing how like monkish the prequel Jedi are versus the High Republic where they're just like, it's kind of like guidelines, you know? Yeah. Like, what is that transition um, and that's what I find like really fascinating. And I feel like I feel like with that, because they go from sort of these almost like celebrities in the galaxy, these benevolent, well-known celebrities to like this monkish order that that by the time, you know, 
Han Solo rolls around. He's like 10 years old during Order 66, and he doesn't really know who they are. Mm-hmm. So if we're getting to the point where this widespread order of thousands is somehow going completely unnoticed in certain pockets of the galaxy, whereas right now they're all over the place and they're all anybody talks about, how did we get there? And it's like, yeah. like you said, we see where the Jedi end up as a concept. We don't know where any of these characters are going to go because they're not going to live that long. So, you know, th- that is still wide open. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about celebrities, um, one of the very first things that stood out to me about these Jedi was in, what, what book am I having? Light of the Jedi. <laughs> I told you I'm tired today. Um, in Light of the Jedi on page 31, when the Jedi ships first come out um, of, of, you know, to come help and stuff like that, they're, they're, they're described to be... Um, Surfaces ripple. The, the, the ship surface rippled along its frame like waves on a silver sea, tapering to a point with towers and uh, crenellations along its length like a fortress laid on its side. All the wings and spires and spirals. And this this is the part that stood st- out to me. So it's like okay, it's a pretty ship. And it said it spoke of ambition. It spoke of optimism. It spoke of a thing made beautiful because it could be. That because it could be. Those four little words. With little cost and uh, with little consideration given to cost or effort, that screams hubris to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I, don't know I mean, I, I get it if you've got this sort of all powerful, not all powerful, but if you've got this really prominent order that is sort of known for its benevolence and they've got the favor of the Republic, which are, oh, I'm going to tear into, I mean, get into later um, for like, good rip them girl. Like it's just going to rip this to pieces, yeah. but like for how like flashy they are, if they feel Republic adjacent, why wouldn't they be flashy a little bit? Mm. And I've got to say, this is like the plot twist of the century because I am such a like slut for Jedi stories. And then like the Jedi show up and I'm like, you know what? Don't talk to me. Because of the way they're portrayed in this. I'm like, like the individual Jedi, sure. But I'm already mad at the Jedi Order. And I love the Jedi. So I don't, I don't know what's happening. That's the power of the High Republic. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm agreeing with you. Hubert. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, there, that's a really good point. Because I think there's a lot to be talked about between the difference between the individuals versus the group. But especially when you look at it against the prequel Jedi, because the the Jedi Order feels like it's still very much the Jedi Order of the prequel trilogy, but it's different between hard rules and guidelines. And I think you can really tell that in the individuals, because I've lost track of how many times reading these three books, I just go, man, Anakin Skywalker would have thrived in this time. Mm-hmm. Because he, if he didn't, you know, if he wanted to be with Padme, he could go off and be like a way seeker Jedi, you know? Um, yeah. He could have been like, I'm a master now, so I'm going to explore the Force through marriage. (laughs) There's so, like, he would have just done so well. And I really enjoy the the individuals. Who who are your favorite Jedi so far? Because I I have some favorites of my own. Well, okay, so I'm deeply invested in Avar and Elzar because of their their potential romance. (laughs) Because because of the shipping, because that's what I do. Um... The one that really, like, I, I generally am a fan of the individual Jedi that we have met. It's the order I have a bit of an issue with. But um, Des Ryden from Into the Dark, oh. just, 
broke my heart and stole my heart. And I just really hope that that's not the last we see of him because, because you like hope, you know, me, I'm a big time Ben Solo fan. So there is something I find fascinating in a story of, of somebody who has either potential for light or a strong connection to the light that has it corrupted by an outside agent. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what happens to Des and it, he doesn't have the mechanism to deal with this. And it so thoroughly traumatizes him that he feels the need to go into isolation for an indeterminate amount of time. And this is why I'm worried we'll never see him again, but I kind of hope we do. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, cause I, I went back and I was looking back at the uh, Charles soul run of Vader where we got the bearish valve again. Um, and it just seems like, it's like, no, I'm just going to go on a forever force vacation. And I was like, that's, but I, I always thought, I, I maybe it changed. I gotta go back and reread that. Um, but the bearish vow I thought was more like uh, if something happens to the order, you have someone to restart the the Jedi. Yeah, but, like the, like a secret reserve somewhere. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what it becomes. Maybe because I don't know that that dude was ripped. I need to reread Soul's Renovator. That was real good. <laughs> I mean, what else is he doing while he's there alone? Just a lot of pull ups. <laughs> <laughs> He looks good. It does. He reminds me of, um, um, this is going to sound so wrong, but let me explain because it's going to sound really wrong. It's like Thor and Odin had a love child <laughs> because he has the face of Odin, but he has the body of Thor. <laughs> I mean, as, as wrong as that idea of the two of them having a child is i see exactly what you mean thanks thanks we're here all week guys <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i definitely like um especially with els uh elzar uh, not elzar but uh, avon um how they how she sees the force is really interesting and i, I like that about the individual jedis is that they each see the force differently mm-hmm. um and i think that's a really cool way to explore how the force talks to different people yeah i do like that it's not it's not as uniform as i guess the prequels made it made it seem um then again the prequels like i know that there's thousands of jedi running around and we do have a lot of jedi supported characters that we get a lot more of in the clone wars but as far as the movies go it's basically qui-gon obi-wan anakin Mm -hmm. really and then so it's basically qui-gon dies at the end of phantom menace and then we have these two emotionally traumatized Jedi men. I always make this comparison where it's like Qui-Gon was raising his son, Obi-Wan. And then he finds out he has this other son he didn't know about that. He then takes into raise and then he dies. And now Obi-Wan's got to raise this little brother. He doesn't know very well. That's the family dynamic. It feels like. And they're like reluctantly. I just thought of Lilo and Stitch. But that's what it feels like. (laughs) Nani and Lilo. Like, my parents are gone. I guess I raise you now. They're Nani and Lilo, though. And then, but they're Nani and Lilo without a support system. And with a support system or whatever support system they have telling them that whatever they're feeling is wrong. Yeah. So, so like you said, like Anakin would have thrived in the High Republic era because the Jedi have a bit more leeway to be messy. And I feel like by the end of the Republic, they don't have that. Yeah. I, I just finished A Test of Courage. And I, for one, that book surprised me. I, I thought it would be the one that I, I liked the least. But I actually really enjoyed it. 
Um, and I think it's because um, I, I'm not I'm a character over plot person. I, Same. I if there's good character work, good character work can carry a bad plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just struck how it was about four young people and how these four young people handled grief differently. And it was a character study of grief. And I really enjoyed that about the book, um, especially seeing how Emery was handling the loss of his master. And then I started thinking about, and I, and I wrote a piece over, I wrote a piece over this over at geekygirlexperience.com. <laughs> Just throw that Just out plug there. Plug your piece, because it's a good piece. Thank you. Um, I started thinking about the Padawans, and we have so many Padawans, and I think that... This is Hope's tinfoil hat theory. I think we're going to be seeing the decline, not only of the Jedi, but their numbers as well. Um, Because Kanan said that there was 10,000 Jedi at the height of during the prequel times. But they keep talking about how there's multiple temples. And I can't remember if it was Wreath or Emery, but they said there's something like hundreds of Padawans. And I'm like, that's a lot. Just having mm-hmm. hundreds of Padawans, you need the masters to take care of them. And not every and, master has a Padawan. So they're masters without Padawans. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we're going to not only see the decline of just them in the order, the, the decline of their numbers as well, because we get to the point where Yoda can't even feel the light side of the force. And he talks about that with Mace Windu. He's like, I can't even feel the light side. I'm having difficulty with this. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if like the the cosmic force is going to start siphoning them off because the light side is so much throwing off the balance and it needs the dark side as well. Um, yeah. I did, and I so them. I'm really worried about these Padawans. Uh, oh, that's what I was, <laughs> that's what I was talking about. I was tired guys. It's fine. Um, no, I'm just, I, I I'm really interested in the Padawans. Um, we get so many. We have, like, Wreath and Emery um, and Belle. Like, I have, gosh, I love Belle so much. <laughs> and Wreath. Wreath is just a precious baby boy who he just... really a, is. He's baby boy. Um, and I think it's interesting because we have the potential to grow up with these characters. And that will give us a really good idea of, I guess, the functionality of the Jedi Order. Because we really have only seen the prequel Jedi from Anakin's point of view. We saw him as a Padawan, and Ahsoka's. Let me, I should say Ahsoka's as well. Um, you know, we see them as Padawans growing up in this order, how it changed them, and what happened to them. But we've never seen either of them really become, go on to become, like, masters. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see how each of them grow, but also see one fall to the dark side. <laughs> of course. And yeah, 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 yeah. I think... The interesting thing, too, because the two Padawans, essentially, that we see go through this system are Anakin and Ahsoka, but they go through the system in a weird way. Because Anakin shows up late, and then he he shows up, and we don't see him again until he's 19 years old and weeks away from a battlefield promotion tonight. Like, he's basically at the end of his Padawan training, but the next time we see him. And then then it's just three years left before, before his fall. And then with Ahsoka... We see her graduating from youngling to Padawan, but she does so quite literally on the battlefield. And that's the context we see her in. She's the a child only soldier. In. Yeah, that is the only context yeah. in which we know Ahsoka. But the cool thing about this is that we are getting to know the Padawans in 
sorry, in like a temple setting. So like Wreath, right before he he heads off to the frontier to meet up with his master, like the Padawans are throwing a party and somebody brought the moonshine that they brewed in the bathroom. Like it's like a dorm party. And this is not something that we ever see in Star Wars. And, you know, I knew Reed was my boy because I, too, don't like parties. And he was just like, oh, I just want to go to like be in my room and read books. And I was like, me, too, man. Me, too. I am not a party person. Why I would do I go, to... go on an adventure? Why can't they just go to the library? I can read my adventures. Use my imagination. <laughs> yes, yes, that is my life. But yeah, I, gosh, and there's a whole sex thing. Let's talk, let's get dirty. Let's, let's talk about sex. Let's talk so. about sex, baby. <laughs> Chris, can that be the song of the episode? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna confuse everybody till we get <laughs> yes chris make that the song of the episode let's talk about sex um yeah isn't that wild that you know all this is coming out that jedi can have sex the whole time well like reek seems to think they can't and then the older ones are like no it's it's fine like you can and then avar and elzar with their tragic like we can't because of the jedi order and this is just We'll always have Paris or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yes, that's you're gonna much devastate me. <laughs> tell me though. Tell me that's not what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening. That's why it's so funny. <laughs> but that, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it goes back to the guidelines, um, though I did see, oh gosh, was it Mark Marquis from Clashing Sabres? Um, it might have been Mark Marquis. I'm sorry if I'm misquoting you, dear listener, and you're listening to this. But somebody had talked about how, like, because I think they, didn't Mike Lucasfilm, like, release an article? Like, yes, Jedi could always have sex and blah, blah, blah. I think it was one of the authors. Oh, it, yeah. was, it was something that I think Kevin Scott had said. And he's like, I'm just going to leave this here. And it was like, yeah, they can have sex. It's the emotional attachment. And all I'm saying is Kevin's writing the next book for adults. I don't want to say adult book because it's not like a romance novel. But he's writing yes, the he's writing Rising Storm, the next book for adults. And like, I think we're long overdue for a Star Wars romance novel because they canonically exist too. So, so um, what was that? I, yeah, yeah, I think it was Mark Marquette said... Oh, so this is the reason why nobody uh, questioned Anakin not being in his room at night. They just all thought he was a slut. <laughs> but honestly, though, <laughs> like everybody knows. Absolutely, I just love it. Um, but I think that I think that is interesting. I hope we do get to see that. Um, and I don't mean that, like, let's get, like, a dirty sex scene, because that's what fan fiction is for. But you're right. I, I think we are really overdue for a Star Wars romance. And, yes, Star Wars is not, like, the most romantic setting. You know, it's wars and stuff, but it can be there. We have, like, of course, the greats of Khan and Leia. And, um, wow, I just ran Rebels Remembers Day. Who is the couple of Rebels? Kane and Hera. Thank you. <laughs> wow, my brain. Although um, I will say... I think Star Wars is long overdue for a romance that ends well. Because other than the Dozas, I can't think of a single one that... And the only reason the Dozas end well is because we don't know what happens to the Dozas. 
well, we do know that they make it out of resistance, so that's a start. That, um, that's like past that, like past, you know. Yeah. I mean, everyone dies eventually. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean like. I mean, the the only acceptable way for a couple to be separated is one of them dies before the other one, but they're both super old. I, I will give you that because every time um, a couple gets introduced in Star Wars, I've gotten to the point I'm just like, oh, what's gonna happen to one of them? Yeah. I just. I, that's why I was so surprised by like, um, like, Pax and Rohara, um, out of like Master and Apprentice. I was like, they're together in the end, and they're alive. Oh, Maybe no it's better great. that we never see Pax and Rohara again, and we can just tell ourselves that it's fine. I love them so much, though. I love I them. They're so dysfunctional and precious. Um, but yeah, I an offhand mention in some book set like. 50 years later about this really old couple and their names are Pax and Rahara. We'll be like, good. We're going to get good. like from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. I'm going to get Ghost Obi-Wan and be like, yes, I was hanging out with my friends, Pax and Rahara. I met when I was 17 years old and they're fine. Anyway, let's talk about Luke. <laughs> I feel like that's all Open I need. Right on. That's all I need. I just need to know they're okay. But no, I, I agree. I, I was the last like real romance book, Lost Stars. Yes, that's the only, that's the only Star Wars book that would I classify would, as a romance. I would slightly argue A New Dawn, because that's Kanan and Hera's meet cute. That's true. But I think it was some of the, some of the graphic imagery of A New Dawn scarred me. Like uh, the acid, mean, so I'm just like. Shoving a woman in acid. And then yeah, I just, itself. past that point, I'm like, oh God. But that's true. That is their meat cute. I love, I love Smitty. He's one of my favorite villains. I'm so sad he didn't make it out of that book because I love him so much. He would have just been horrifying if he got like into the empire, like for real. Like yeah. he would have been just, I, I call him business Vader. Because he really is just the brutality of Darth Vader, but as a businessman. So, you know, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, it's true. I feel I feel like that's that's the one thing is they introduce all these cool concepts and then they can't bring them past a certain point because then it becomes where were you in the movie? Which is, I think, one thing that Lost Stars does really well if it wants to bridge that gap. is It's like, oh, wherever the camera was in Empire Strikes Back, if the camera was just a little bit to the right, you'd be able to see Sienna. But it's not, so you can't. But she's there. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and then that's the thing too, but then uh, not like Count Vidian, like Sienna and, oh my god, what's his name? Thane? Thane. Sienna and Thane are like so low on the ladder that like, you wouldn't miss them anyway. But Count Vidian is just like, if you're not seeing him, there's a problem. You know what I mean? Like you should, he should be visible if you're gonna go that far forward. Yeah, I yeah, but I always argue that one of the problems I, I one of my pet peeves of Star Wars is for some reason in a galaxy with tens of thousands of planets with trajillions of people, we somehow run into the same twenty people over and over again. Oh, that is that is very very true. I don't know who I was telling talking to about this earlier this week, where I was like small galaxy syndrome. It's the same ten people over and over and over again. That's that's my one thing that takes me out of Rogue One, which is my favorite Star Wars movie, is when we run into the two Candina, Cantina guys on Jetta. And the thing is, I'm like, how did you get to Tatooine so fast? They had to be on a sh- like a ship in like seven minutes to get like, out of there. They were, that's that's why they were annoyed that Jin bumped into them, because they're like, we are going to miss our flight. 
we have to go to Cantina Land and go drink and be get my arm cut off. It's just a thing. Not Doctor Evazon, the other guy whose name just blew out of my head. But he's like, why are you starting fights? We should have been there an hour ago. I told you we were going to be late. And he's like, <laughs> They're secretly gay lovers. And he's like, honey, this is why I told you to like update your alarm. No, it's not my job to wake you up every day. <laughs> that's, honestly, though, that's probably what's happening. <laughs> that's why they're in such a bad mood on the cantina, because they had a fight the whole way over. You just had to get those peanuts out of the stupid fr- like refrigerator in our hotel room. Well, they were delicious. They cost us 15 credits for a bag of peanuts, honey. I would have bought you one at the bodega. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Jagos and Jedi. I love it. I love it <laughs> so you, much. <laughs> All right. So first, I'm going to, Chris, cut this out because, by God, it's allergy season and I have to be gross a second. Ugh. Yeah, I am. I am an allergy sufferer, and we got pollen counts. <clears throat> All right, so um, to kind of, I'm sure we'll come back to the Jedi at some point, but I do, I do want to talk about the Republic because outside of the Jedi, so we have the Chancellor Lena So, and I know you have some very strong feelings. I don't about trust them. Lena So at all. You know, I didn't think about it until you mentioned that. And then I started thinking back on it. I was like, yeah, yeah, you can see the politician in there. Um, And, you know, after you mentioned that, who she really reminded me of. But this is going to be a kind of a deep cut thing that doesn't show up in the TV show. (laughs) She reminded me of Ryder Azadi, but from the Thrawn novel. So Thrawn's novel, Ryder was the governor of Lothal yeah. with the dumb white hat voiced by Clancy Brown. <laughs> and he's I just, all just love like, his name because he fights for freedom on Lothal and Azadi literally means freedom in Persian. I'm like, okay, well, that's a little <gasps> oh, on the nose. Cool. But like I, my head shot up when they're like Governor Azadi. I'm like, hang on. You want help fighting for freedom from a guy whose name means freedom? Okay. And then like. So that caught my attention. But anyway, sorry, that was my tangent. Oh, I hope this doesn't ruin it for you because um, what what really reminded me of Ryder with Lena was his means to an end is unsavory, but he has good intentions. And in the Thrawn novel, he he blackmails Arinda's mother to try and get her mind from her because her mind has whatever the rare metal is that goes to the Death Star. I totally forgot that was Azadi. And he threw her in jail. And that is what put Arinda Price on her path of villainy. And of course, Arinda makes her own choices. Like she could have stopped at any point. So that's not, that's not a thing. But he's trying to keep this metal out of the Empire's hands by blackmailing a woman and throwing her in prison. And it just, it, it's all political. It's just a political move. Mm-hmm. And it made me go, but man, he really is a politician. He's a, yeah, yeah. he's a freedom fighter, but he was a politician at the time. And that's kind of what I feel about Lena So. I really do think she has good intentions, but I think her means to an end is not good. Um, and... That's the simple version, because I know you're about to say a lot of beautiful words, so I'm just going to like get my salts and water and sit back and let you go into Lena's cell in the Republic, so. Well, the thing I feel about any, and I don't, like, 
don't want to stick the villain label on Lena so just yet. I think it's a little early in the High Republic. But the this thing about is any, speculation, everybody. Yeah, speculation. total speculation. But the thing about any villain or morally ambiguous character is none of them ever think they're wrong. And that's that's what's important. But the thing with Lena So is she is so fixated on her idea of her great works. And what set off the alarm bell for me is not that others are referring to this as the great work of Lena So. Lena's calling it the great works of Lena So, which, you know, whatever, plug your work, be proud of what you've accomplished. But if it's like it's like with writers, like they're like set out to write the story you want to tell. Don't set out to write the great American novel. Like if that's your goal, you're never going to get there. And her thing is like, what next great thing can I do? And I'm like, first of all, you haven't done it yet, so you don't know if it's great. Second of all, you think the Starlight Beacon is this great work, but you have not stopped to consider whether or not the people whose lives and resources are being affected by your starlight beacon beyond the colonists that you've sent out there whether their lives are improved by what you've done you don't you don't seem to care and this sort of a little bit goes into one of the high republic comics which does tie a bit back into the jedi but i feel like it's sort of on behalf of the republic which full disclosure i have not read the whole comic i have seen this exchange is um there is a world that's I think it's Skir and Avar are going to visit a world that the Jedi have not been to in over a decade. And they're like, it's time we visited them again. And the leader of the clan of people that live on that world are like, we do not want you here. And they can't seem to comprehend why this autonomous individual nation does not want them in their territory because they feel it's their right to be there. Well, we kind of got that a little bit also with Honesty and his family and A Test of Courage a little bit because he... He was unsure about why the Jedi were coming to his planet anyway. I mean, of course, honesty was just him and Wreath would be really good friends because they're like, let's just stay home and read, everybody. Um, I hope but, they get to meet because Imri and Wreath are friends. And now honesty is his friend, too. So I feel like I hope they'll get to meet down the line. They're going to just make like a nerd team. <laughs> team nerd. <laughs> I, I, I'm currently doing a, a role play with my friend Megan. And of course, because we're messy timeline lovers um anakin has crossed paths um in a temple with Loden and komak and wreath and bell and he and anakin's just like don't fuck up history but he's also like wreath is such a nerd (laughs) (laughs) is anakin like i need to steal his lunch money no 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 um he is with his lovely um sith girlfriend and this is after they've overthrown the sith and they're just now teaching force balance in general but all the jedi masters are like he feels very dark sidey and jessica's like let's stab the jedi because i'm an ex (laughs) and he's like we don't need to stab anyone guys (laughs) keep it friendly keep it friendly Friendly. Don't, don't fuck up history. Uh, luckily, his girlfriend is a historian, too. So she's like, I know not to fuck up history, but there's Jedi in this room. And I hate everything that they say. so for. tempting. I have so many biases. <laughs> um, anyway, what were we talking about? Nerds. Okay. Nerds. Yeah. Our they sweet nerdy nerds. boys. But I think the colonization is a very interesting take. Because I feel like Star Wars has been for years edging like towards that like you know Padme talked about that some in the Clone Wars of like you know we can't invade people's lands 
Um, we get that a bit in Mando with the with the Tuskins uh, think that the settlers are the invaders on Tatooine. Yeah, which I'm but automatically we, inclined to believe. Yeah, um, but I don't think we've fully had like a multi-story like event about the effects of colonization. I I, I guess we could say like the empire is kind of like the reverse of that. You know, because mm-hmm. the system was already in place. They just made it worse. Um, yeah. But but part of the reason why the Empire was so successful is they just took the system of the Republic and then just locked it down. Um, and we see, like, them going on worlds like Thane and Cyana's world and just trashing it when yeah. it was once this beautiful place. Um, but they colonized it. And it was seen as this really great thing because they were like, we're bringing jobs and resources. And the people and they recruit all your kids into the military and then they trash the planet. Yeah, pretty much. And so I feel I'm really excited to see if they go there a multi generational, multi generational, a multi book uh, story about that. I, I think that's a really interesting premise that has been skirted around far too long with star wars but never delved into well multi-generational too because like we were saying like we are not constrained to movies or to an actor's age or anything like that so with a 250 year timeline to play with and three phases of publication that are like a year and a half each that is plenty of time for these characters to grow up so like wreath and imri and honesty and avon and Oh God, what's her name? Vernestra and and all of them who are all teenagers now could very well be the thirty something, forty something masters by the time we get to phase three. So we see like, like the the generational effects of of Lena So and of her great works and of what the Republic is doing and how how that how that affects the downfall of the Jedi and the mistrust in the Republic. Yeah, I give me one second. I'm having. A computer thingy. My computer's just like, brr. Oh, because I have, I forgot to close tabs before I started recording. That's why. There we go. Uh, <laughs> didn't close my tabs. Yes. Um, yeah, I I think the interesting end point in all this is, as we're going into this whole High Republic thing, is the Acolyte. We know mm-hmm. that's at the end of the High Republic, and it's going to be a dark side show. Yeah. And I feel like it's going to be, what if the characters in that is somebody we know? But who would live that long? When is the end of the Yoda. High Republic? This is supposed to be 250 years before the Phantom Menace, where we're at right now. And but the Acolyte's know, about 50 years before, so this is, like, two centuries away. Oh, is it, uh, did they confirm it's the date of, is 50%? The, the 50 years I'm not 100% sure on, but we are, as far as I know, 250 years prior to the events of the Phantom Menace. Well, with going into this 100% knowing I'm probably wrong about this, uh, just take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, looking at how they have the new timeline now, the Republic of the um, prequel era is now called the Fall of the Jedi. And I'm wondering when that crossover happens between High Republic and the Fall of the Jedi. Um, to go from High Republic to just Republic. Right. And where, yeah, I mean, I think that's... Maybe there's a cataclysmic event at the end of phase one. Like the Starlight 
Like the Starlight like Beacon. The Starlight Beacon. Yeah. Crashing Titanic style. No! With, with Avon and Elzar just being like, I'll never no! let go, Elzar. I'll never let go. That's not what I wanted. But <laughs> and she's, she's going to be so in love with him that she falls to the dark side and he brings her back. Just like Cyanna and Thane in Lost Stars crashing. Um, only they, they crash, don't get they off the survived. ship. They both survived. But they don't survive. And Elzar brings her back and he just doesn't want to live in a galaxy anymore where he can't openly love her. And she finally comes back to the light the last moment. He's just all like, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And then they crash. If I have somebody come back to light at the last second for one kiss and then they die, Hope, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) I'm going to lose it. But they're book characters, so you don't have to watch it be terrible. I don't have to watch a cute little dimpled smile right before he dies. I didn't even think about that. No, I'm I'm never not thinking about this. But I was thinking, like, the transition, like you were saying, from High Republic to just Republic. What if that happens? Yeah, like with the Starlight being, like with the great failure of Lena So. And then this this golden age is just no longer so golden because things go wrong. And they'll, they'll, they'll kind of upswing a little bit because the Republic doesn't fall right away. But it, it, it isn't what it was. So it's not the High Republic any longer. And it's and it's very clear when we get to the prequel era that the Outer Rim is still the Outer Rim. Um, it's still not the fully brought in. Um, they never fully got there. You know, huts, the huts have a space. And I'm really I'm happy to see the huts in the High Republic. I think that's really cool. Um but we know that they never fully get there and that there are parts of the outer room that's still just like, I don't want to say it's fully the wild west, but there's I was going to say it's the wild west. Yeah. I mean, for all that they, they don't want it to be. But And then you get very much into like the wild space aspect. And then you have people like the precious boy, Eli Vanto. That's oh like, God. y'all in my neck of the woods, y'all, <laughs> y'all. Sweet little Wild West Eli Vanto. I have this great, and I, and gosh, I feel this is such a faux pas of mine because I always try to make sure I find artists and make sure I keep art with artists. Um, and I can't find the original artist, but I have this picture of Eli Vanto with his hands on a wall with his head on a poster, and, and it's a poster of Dolly Parton. He's just like, Dolly, today was a bad day. Oh, no. <laughs> But if there is a Galaxy Far, Far Away equivalent to Dolly Parton, you know Eli Vanto's a fan, and you know he's got a poster. Absolutely. (laughs) So I know that we're speculating that the Republic are not as golden, as light-filled as we think. But let's get into the real villains here. Let's. All right, so girl, tell me all the ways you yeah. love Marshall Rowe. Oh, my God. Okay. I love so, his arms. His arms, though. His arms, though. I don't buy single-issue comics, but I really want issue three. I know. I um, He's he's such a Dorito boy in the High Republic Adventures because he has that, like, that Chris Evans Captain America shape where he's very broad across the top, and then it goes down to a tiny waist, and he's a little Dorito boy. He's got a swimmer's body. Oh, he does. Well, he has to get nice arms somehow, and then he like. Okay. It's just the gaze electric has a pool in the basement. I just love that it's called the gaze electric because my god, does it sound like G A Y S? The gaze electric. <laughs> Every time I see that, I hear it. That's what I think, and then I'm like, no, no, wait, there's a Z in there. It's not the, it's not the gaze. Uh, <laughs> not that kind of. 
That kind of game. Party boat. <laughs> it could be that kind of party boat. He could he could like multiple people. It doesn't have to be just ladies. I'm sure he. Oh no, I definitely doesn't. I mean, it just, he has... it's just because he lives in there alone or virtually alone. You know, how does he? His fingernails are so long. He has to be so careful jacking off. He has those like long fingernails. Somebody on Twitter actually gloves. did his fingernails. That's what it is. Well, then in that case, just get a flashlight, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> Star Wars flashlights. <laughs> oh my goodness, that I I knew it was gonna take a turn like that. I didn't think it was gonna happen that fast. Oh, oh, remind me to tell you about the scene I have written about Thrawn and his wife having marital troubles, and she's sitting in a sex store crying over a blue dildo because <laughs> she misses him so much because <laughs> he's away doing Grand Admiral stuff, <laughs> and she's just like, I miss my husband. <laughs> anyway, let's let's talk for real about Marshawn Rowe yeah, and the Nihil. Uh, <laughs> the ridiculous thirst we have for a man we've barely seen who better not have a goofy face please god don't let him have a stupid face please don't let him have a stupid face like chiseled jaw or nothing I'm just putting that out there uh, I um yeah yeah I just would love to see um just that bullshitness of like they pull off the mask and he's like a snaggle tooth <laughs> I will, I will fight. Like, this is not okay. Well, it depends. Sometimes Snaggletooth can be great, depending on the anime character it's stuck on. Okay, but, like, I don't trust them to, to make that cute. It's gonna be, it's gonna be real, like, real hot, or just a mess. I don't trust them to be somewhere in the middle. I, I do think that they are very closely paying attention to people's responses, because I don't think we would have gotten official Geo fan art if people weren't all like fucking geode (laughs) (laughs) just the way this cult of geode took off i know i know but we're talking about martian we'll get to geode so martian and the nihil yes so this is once again that thing where we are what one book into the sort of into the adult run the del rey run because he martian is like in into the dark for half a page but otherwise he's not in it and he's not in a test of courage at all so just in the one book he's like really really in and i'm not talking comics he is of all the characters the most motivated i find we don't quite know what the motivation is in great detail we have a vague idea of what what he wants like some wrong has been done to him by the jedi I I was so. telling my friend who is always like four years behind in Star Wars books, except for Thrawn. She loves Thrawn, but that's because she's a hardcore Sherlockian, and that's how I wrangled her into Thrawn. I was like, he's mm. the Sherlock Holmes of Thrawn. She's like, give me all the books. <laughs> that's true. But he is. He, he really I is. Thought of it like that. Um, but and he has his Watsons. He does. Yeah, um, Eli, Karen, and Vader it actually fits the Watson archetype. Um, anyway, that's a yeah. that's a podcast I've done another time. Hey guys, if you want to hear more about that on Jacobs and Jedi, I did an entire panel at 221 Beacon about Sherlock Thrawn is the Sherlock Holmes of 
uh, Star Wars, and you can find that somewhere in our feed. I don't have the episode in front of me. I have no idea what episode number it is. It's probably in the hundreds somewhere. <laughs> um, but I, I was telling her about Martian, and I, I told her he was like the methods of Thrawn with the brutality of Tarkin. Yeah. And because he's smart, he's clearly smart and he's crafty. And I love that moment in Light of the Jedi. And it, it was because I did so much of Light of the Jedi on audiobook mm-hmm. that I, I don't think this moment would have hit me as hard if I had been reading it. But I was driving and you get that moment where like Loden and all of them are going after the family and they're riding their horses and they get that call and I remember driving and hearing the voice come out of that call, and I was like, "That sounds like Martian Row." Like, yeah, you don't get you don't get that in the book because it's not until the end when Loden's like, "I know your voice," and he's like, "I call, I'm the one who called you." That's the only time you ever hear it. Yeah, and I just have to also throw out that Mark Thompson did a stellar job on a lot of courage. His audiobook, it is his best work by far. Um, but I I find him so crafty. Um, and he's so smart, and he's thinking on that like Thrawn level of like three dimensional chess, like four like four D chess. And I I like when they tease us with a villain where he's really good, he's really confident, and we we're three books in, we still don't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> and no. I like that. Um, though I would like to start seeing as we start moving into the next phase, start getting a few more concrete answers because i think there is the problem like the tv show lost if you give us too many questions and not enough answers you start losing people yeah and after three books and a hit a smattering of comics i want to start seeing more of martian's plans sooner rather than later i agree i i think I'm hoping that when Rising Storm comes out, because that seems to be like the Del Rey, I'm going to home runs like their comics, but they're not. Like the Del Rey run of books, I think is where Martian comes in most prominently. And I'm hoping that that's the next, like we'll get, start getting some more answers in Rising Storm. Because like we, like the two of us read everything and take it as one thing. But I think their plan was that if you're only reading the Del Rey or you're only reading the YA or the middle grade or whatever, that those should stand on their own as one age group, I guess, which is where it all starts. That's where it kind of starts to fall apart is with the next set. Cause they're like, this set is fine if you only want to read the one, but then with the next set, we've got characters from a test of courage making the jump to YA and they're not staying in the middle grade category. And then, then it's all, it's all going to start getting a little more confusing. So maybe we'll start getting more of Martian in the other books too but i feel like he's just sticking to the adult line for now that's really interesting because i i hadn't been seeing them as separate um i really hadn't because that's actually my biggest gripe of light of the jedi and probably why it's not my favorite um of the three books out so far that's definitely into the dark um because there were parts of light of the jedi and i am i am a slut for charles soul i love that man that man gave me my grande boyfriend's backstory like i love that man and when they let charles soul do his thing it's stellar Mm -hmm. but there are parts of light of the jedi that feel very corporate to me mostly in the final third of the novel and what i mean by corporate is like Jorah, Molly, and Skier come in, like, in the final third, just to have Jorah die. And 
then you have like the ceremony at the twilight at this twilight beacon it's about to call it the twilight sparkle and that's definitely my little pony uh, <laughs> <laughs> um at the, the starlight beacon um there's actually a character named starlight in my little pony and it keeps throwing me off it's <laughs> just full disclosure um it's really my little pony somehow <laughs> it's all coming together it's all. <laughs> I sat through all nine seasons of that show and I love it. So I, I, there's a reason I have an animation podcast. So I can't talk about my, my love of My Little Pony. Anyway, that's not this podcast. Um, there's, there's just certain like moments like when the, like the dedication of the Starlight Beacon and, and Light of the Jedi. It's like, and there's Vanestra and there's Wraith and don't worry, they're in the next books. Um, but it just felt like they were just thrown in there to be thrown in there, and I feel mm-hmm. that way with Skier. And um, Jorah, it's like we have to have these two characters because Skier is the main, one of the main characters of the comics. And Jorah is, of course, Ruth's master in Into the Dark. So that that's probably my biggest gripe of these books is there are parts that do feel very corporate, which is why I wasn't seeing them as separate pieces on different lines. I, I was very much seeing them as one bundle um, and, and not separate. So I, I find that... That's really interesting to think of it that way that I, I didn't even consider that jump from them going from middle grade to YA. I didn't even think about that. That's, like, I don't, that's a good point. I don't perceive them as different either because, like, with me, I take all the books exactly as they are. Like, on my shelf, they're organized. YA and adult is chronological. It doesn't matter what the age group is. And then, like, the middle grade I put somewhere else because just because it didn't fit on the shelf. But so to me, I always take it as one big story. But the big thing going into the higher public because there are no familiar characters for a wider audience to latch onto, they're like, just pick wherever you want to start. And here are all the character flashcards and here's who's in what book and whatever appeals to you. Take that, take that book. But they do have to have that continuity of going from one to the other to the other for people like us who are going to jump back and forth so we can see where those, where that connective tissue is. Mm -hmm. But it does make me wonder, like, I feel like the adults from the adult book are staying in the adult book. Like, like um avar elzar um stellan Gios when we get him who i'm obsessed with because he's like regency era obi-wan kenobi with kylo ren's lightsaber so it's just doing things to me but <laughs> like it, it's like hey we heard you like these two jedi what if we made them one character and put him in a period costume i'm like okay well so <laughs> so like all of them are gonna stay i think in the adult run in the del rey run and then the kid stuff's gonna jump back and forth <laughs> I'm still laughing about Obi Wan and Kylo's love child. Well, that's what he is. He's got. <laughs> he is. I see it now. And he's all noble and shit. And then he's got like Kylo Ren's lightsaber, but it's blue. <laughs> he's all noble and shit. <laughs> it's worth noting that as of this recording, we haven't really seen Stellan Gios in anything. I've just decided he's all noble and shit. I know. That's why it's so funny because, like, I think they're like. Yvonne and Elsa are like, that's my friend. And Vanessa's like, that was my master. And that was it. <laughs> that's the thing. Think about it this way. is like, Anakin and Padme are like, Obi-Wan's our friend. And then Anakin, on his own, is like, Obi-Wan's my master. And he's actually the best. <laughs> he is just the, the greatest. He's the sweetest boy. So I have no reason not to love Stellan Gios based solely on this. <laughs> he's just like, all my friends are like, are boning and I'm here. <laughs> Where's my flashlight? 
I was going to say I volunteer, but fine. Flashlight, that's fine. <laughs> they're Jedi. They're not allowed to have sex, are you? Except for the kid. But they're not, not allowed a- to have attachments. I'm allowed to have attachments. Well, you know, maybe it's a really good flashlight. <laughs> He's attached to it. He's real attached to that flashlight. <laughs> it's attachment to his lightsaber. Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, just to add a danger side of things. This is this is how we fall to the dark side. Yes. Anyway, good segue to the Nile. <laughs> Back to the Nile. We got Back to the, the one the one time I have full license to talk about Marshawn Road and I start talking about Stellan Gios. So No, I, I I like the Nile as villains. I because we've seen pirates, we've seen raiders. But they're almost, to me, like this in-between of crime syndicate and pirates. Mm-hmm. I think they want to be pirates, but, but what's his butt? Marcion. Um, they're pirates that function like a syndicate. Yeah. A and, of a syndicate. And I think he wants that. And I think that's where I kind of get, like, very mall vibes at times from Marcion, too. He has that, like, Crimson Dawn mall vibes. He just needs his, uh, his uh, Kira to be his beautiful beautiful lap partner or maybe just some lovely lady named Sola. Um, yeah. Well! It's true, it's true. Arzu has a fix for that. I got a fix for that. DM me if you want details. But, uh, gosh, you should really promote it more. It's really good. <laughs> it, honestly, I would promote my fic more like on Twitter if employers weren't checking it. Oh, that's a good we, point. We I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I am very open on Twitter with the fact that I do write fan fiction. It's, I just don't. And if you if you are properly motivated on Twitter, you can find me on AO3 via my Twitter feed if you're properly motivated. I just don't openly post it because people who are hiring me for other jobs check my Twitter feed. Oh, fuck. I'm never yeah. getting hired for anything ever again. <laughs> but they're like hiring me for writing jobs specifically. If it was like an engineering job, I'd be like, whatever. I'm an engineer and here's all the smut I write, but, but yeah, it's purely because they're hiring me to write stuff like this that I'm like, you don't, I don't need to make it easy for you. But if you're properly motivated, you can actually find it. You should, just, you should just also put in like romance novel writer, like in your like little thing. So people know that you write smut, but you do it professionally. Yeah. You could easily scrub your fan fiction with Marshawn and Sola and publish it as a romance. Like you could, that's, that's an easily scrubbable fic. Once it's finished, and I've gotten it all worked out, it's been on AO3 for a little bit, I intend on scrubbing it. Because I'm like, it... Yeah. The thing is, tying back into sort of what we were saying, is we don't know a whole hell of a lot about Martian Row at this point. So, like, 85% of what I write about Martian Row is purely something I'm making up. Like, Nile dynamics, what goes on in his head, like what kind of person he is, because we don't know much of much of this. So I guess, yeah, I need to finish this before Rising Storm comes out, because then it's all gonna go to hell. <laughs> that's where I feel <laughs> on my throne pick. Um, no, but like I, I think that's yeah. I I, I like the Nihil because on one hand, it's very obvious what they are. They're very clearly raiders who are like there to you know fuck people up and pillage and raid and rape and take what they want right 
Um, but then you do have Martian, and he is so enigmatic, and he's mysterious, and we know, like, nothing about him. And I think that's definitely what makes him dangerous, especially with how he treats Mari. And Mari's Santeca? Solteca? Santeca. Santeca. Um, You're getting her confused with Sola Santeca. I am. Your fault. Your fault. Not my fault. I'm sorry. Not your fault. Um, no, uh... How he treats Mario, which was such a big reveal to know that, you know, the Santecas that we see from, you know, The Force Awakens has this line to them and that they have this entire corporate feel themselves. And all that is just really fascinating. But I definitely hope that gets pulled back in more because Mm -hmm. I was very excited to see the Santecas and I'm just like the gays. And I'm like, oh, they're tiny gay Jeff Bezos is in their evil <laughs> but maybe good I don't know they're in it for themselves because they're corporate people and I don't trust corporations but um watching how Mari and Marshawn interact it's it creates amazing power dynamics that I'm he clearly knows how to use and control people which makes me wonder what's going to happen with Loden because I really Loden was my boy like like he still is my boy like I fell in love with Loden Great Storm and I am so happy that one of my fav- favorite artists on Twitter has been doing Loden artwork I'm just like yes <laughs> um but I, I that's really interesting because where I feel like Dez fell easily to the Dringer who we'll talk about in a second um in Into the Dark a lot, he fell so easily because he was also injured. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he smacked his head and had a concussion. But I don't feel like Loden is going to be in the same position, like position as Dez. And I don't think he's going to fall so easily. So I'm actually really interested in the dynamics between Loden and Martian. Um, and that, like, mental and emotional battle. And I really hope we get that because it's going to be just a battle of will. And, and and abilities and mental abilities and yes <laughs> there's two things about this whole thing with Loden that that fascinate me three things three things one of them is just Martian's attention to his name because I know Great Storm like the Nile everything they do is, is storm related <laughs> when I, but when I'm I like say, I got to that moment I just died laughing I was like Charles Soul you petty bitch <laughs> but <laughs> you, I'm like <laughs> Was that intentional? Is it is just making a comment like, hey, that's kind of a funny coincidence? Or like, does it mean something? Because my my brain starts immediately churning. I'm like, did the great storms kill your family? Like, this is where I went. And then and then like the so there's that. There's the fact that by fixing on that name, remembering that Martian Rowe is not Martian's real name. And what is his real name? And does it matter? And I know I'm all like, like what? what is your family that you felt the need to change your name? Is it just to keep yourself sort of safe or is it something that the Republic would recognize? And maybe that's why you changed it. And then the third thing is the cylinder that he has and like what it is. Now I have my own theories that are in my fic or it's will a flashlight. <laughs> it's a flashlight. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> Fine. It's, I'm sorry. No, we'll get with the flashlight. We all know it's a dildo. It's fine. Well, come on hope. At the very least. I mean, anything can be a dildo if you're, you know, if really you try hard enough. Yes, if you're gung-ho enough about it. If you're that determined, the evil screaming cylinder can, in fact, be a dildo. <laughs> I've been 
is on it. Then it would be screaming. It'd just be like, no. Or is it screaming because it's having a good time? I forgot that it screams. That makes it so much worse. No, it's not. Does it actually scream or does it just look like it's screaming? I don't know. Here, where's my book? Because I, I know like, Elzar has visions of this. And he starts screaming. Because he's envisioning this cylinder like right right at the end. But I, I don't know if it just looks like it's screaming or if it's actually screaming. I don't know. Keep talking. I'll figure it out. But... Yeah, so these are the three things that interest me about that that bit at the end. Specifically about how this cylinder, like, it, I'm almost positive it's a Jedi thing just because Martian has it, Martian doesn't like the Jedi, and then Elzar has a vision of, either he has a vision of the cylinder or he has a vision, like, tinged in purple, and then the cylinder is purple, so, like, it's got to be related. Uh, here it is. Um, Martian reached in his tunic and pulled out an object of stone and metal, a yeah. rod, Three hands long, carved in incised with symbols, screaming faces, fires, chains. It looked like it had been melted once and reforged. As his hand touched the object, it began to glow a sickly purple color that somehow overpowered the star bright light, uh, the star bright lighting of the prison deck. Well, uh, the thing was almost fully to blame for what happened to the to his ancestors as the Jedi, but that was an old story. So, so something happened. With the Jedi. I know he's saying it's almost as much to blame as the Jedi, <laughs> but I feel like the two are related if Elzar is having dreams about it. Or visions of it. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a coincidence. Do you... Do you think... And I go back and forth about this, so I I don't have a set answer. Do you think any time in this we'll see anything from the Sith during the High Republic? Like an actual Sith? Because we have the artifacts, the, I'm, the stones, which we'll I'm get into gonna, when we talk about the drain gear. But I'm not, I'm not going to give a definite thing. Just anything with the the Sith in general. Yes, I feel like I feel like we cannot tell a story of the downfall of the Jedi without the Sith. Because I know they're doing plenty to fall on their own. And they they can downfall just fine by getting their heads stuck up their own asses. But I feel like on a on a grand scale, like for the balance to be so thrown that the order starts to crumble, I feel like you cannot tell that story without the Sith in some capacity. Do you hopefully feel, not a major one though? Do you think that Martian has something to do with the Sith, or is he something new? I think Martian is something new. Mm. I think Martian is something new, and I think, as much as I love the Nile, and I really do, which I can get into in a second, but, um, I feel like they might ally themselves with the Sith to bring about the downfall of the Jedi, and that winds up being their downfall, because we don't see the Nile again. For like, Even if Martian's involved, there's so many other Nile, right? Yeah, wasn't it recently in Dr. Afra she was talking about Nile artifacts? Yes. I think so. And I only know that through Star Wars Explained, because I'm very, very, very far behind on Dr. Afra. Um, so so then, yeah, we know that they're not around anymore. Um, that That's kind of my answer, because the Sith have to be in hiding um, mm-hmm. until, you know, 
Papa Palps is just like my coming out party. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. I'm going to ride in my caviar and Yoda's corpse. Let's go. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I love Papa Palpatine and the idea that he just loves to take baths and eat caviar and talk with Dooku over bubble baths. Um, are they both in the bubble bath? Or are they in that together. Bath? They're in their respective bubble baths, okay. um, eating their caviar and talking shit about Jedi. Um, that's how they do uh, business meetings. <laughs> so, um, no, I, they have to be in hiding, but I, I want Martian to be not Sith. I, I could see like something like the Acolytes. We we start seeing the beginning of the Acolytes mm-hmm. to lead us into the TV show. Um, yeah. But I don't think we'll see... I go so back and forth about this because I would love to see a Sith Lord in hiding, but I don't want it to be Martian because I want so desperately for him to be a new thing. Because... Yeah. I do think that the Jedi could easily be overthrown by someone not a Sith. And partially because of their hubris. Because mm-hmm. they they don't think that they could be overthrown by something other than Sith. Now, that being said, I would love to see Martian being some kind of new Darksider. Because I don't think we get to focus enough on the other people like the Night Sisters, the Lasats. Um, these other forms of the light and the dark side enough. And right. I could, would love to see, and that, the drink here was a nice introduction to like getting these other dark siders, but I could, I would love to see Martian not be Sith, but be a dark sider. Force adjacent in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. The, the, I, I think I'm tired of stories with the force is just two sides of a coin. I, I love stories when the force is a 20 sided die. Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Is that it shouldn't always come down to come down to the Jedi and Sith. But I do I do feel that I want Martian to be his own thing. I like the overall story of of the Nile being like like we were talking about like with the colonists and Lena mm-hmm. So like they are people who are like that we were here first and like yeah we're not like good people we're still definitely murdering and stealing but like that's this is our space in which to do that yeah <laughs> and the republic just kind of shows up and i guess I'm, I'm genuinely trying to justify why they're ruining the livelihood of these murderers but like it's not their place to interfere really if anybody then, defends the, the cute hot murderer with you know wall arms it's gonna be us <laughs> I, honestly if anybody's gonna ride or die for <laughs> for a murderer in star wars it's either me or it's hope but yeah. But like that's the thing is like it's not it's it's not the republic's place to do anything about the Nile and I feel like that's how they're all going to die is at the hands of the republic or this or the Sith like they're going to try to get these invaders out of their space and all it's going to do is wind up killing them. I didn't think about the Nile being taken out by the Sith. I I could see well, them like, being like absolutely cannibalized by the Sith. I'm thinking, like, they... Here's my my long-term... And I um, mean cannibalize, not, like, eating people. I mean, like, the Sith use their methods to, Uh you know, keep hiding and take down the Jedi. Picture this. And this is not going to be in my fic, because I'm kind of going in a different direction. But where I think it's officially going to go, potentially, is that 
like Martian allies himself with the Sith to take out the Jedi or to do something with the Jedi. And it works for a while until the the Sith hit that point where I guess the Republic's closing in, the Jedi are closing in, and they need to stop being so buddy-buddy with the Nile, and they just kind of take over. And if they're not killing them, then they are... Like, what if these Nile are the, the first of the Sith acolytes that we will then see in the series? Yeah. Like, so, I, like the origins of that, obviously not exclusively, but... Yeah. I, I'd be down for that. I, I was actually, I will say, when it came to the the Disney investors say, I was actually surprised we didn't see more High Republic shows. I was only, I was surprised that we were only getting one. Um, I'm fully thinking, and this is hope speculation was totally probably wrong. I could see Ryan Johnson's movies being High Republic. Um, I will lose my mind. I will lose my mind too. Um, But, you know, they doing all this time setting up the, like the backgrounds and then having a show focused around you know the high republic as well i feel like it could be all setting up for a movie trilogy to be like mm-hmm. here's the next phase mm-hmm. of star wars and here's the background stuff if you really want to get there here's a tv show um i think I that would be really that interesting if they do that let's say it's ryan's trilogy let's say it's somebody else's whoever if they if they set up a movie or a trilogy in the high republic era i hope that it is a new story and not an adaptation of the books i know we all like to fan cast these characters specifically but i really hope that's not what they do because star wars like the great thing about star wars is we have all of these books with characters we love and like know from the screen with brand new characters like dane and sienna like like whoever but we never directly adapt a book in star wars and i think people think they want that nobody wants that because is because as of right now, not having done that, watch they start doing this in a few years and this ages really badly. But as of right <laughs> now, like the books, the TV shows, the comics all, all exist in the same canon. It is one story start to finish, whether or not certain elements of it adhere to that canon is another story. As far as we're concerned, this is all one giant story. The minute you adapt, let's say, Light of the Jedi directly into a movie, you can't adapt it word for word, page for page, because it's just not how the medium works. Yep. Now, which version of Light of the Jedi is is not the true story, but which one is the version that falls in this tapestry? Because yeah, it's two we, versions of the same story. We actually saw that with the Ahsoka novel and Siege of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Um, those, because, you know, E.K. was going off of pretty much just like little notes from Dave, and she had to pretty much make it up. And then, so we we then look at, you know, she didn't know that Anakin was going to change uh, Ahsoka's lightsabers to blue, so her sabers are green in Ahsoka yeah. novel, um, which I just realized is above my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is my setup from when I was doing peak milk. Um, but uh, what was I saying? Yes. And, and so then we dig into that, like, little fandom problem where people are just like, oh, lifesavers supposed to be green. And Ma's supposed to be a Mandalorian. But he's supposed to be captured. Um, and I think it's okay when it's, like, little things like that because yeah. it was such a small thing. And I know we ran into this with Cobb Vant, too, in The Mandalorian, where his story was not quite matching up with aftermath but those things can kind of be explained away through a matter of perspective 
Yeah, but something so, like going White of the Jedi as a movie, that's not a matter of perspective. It's yeah. things are going to be lost. Yeah. And then it is a clash of of which is right, like you said. And we and yeah. we already we already have that problem. Not problem, but like we already see that sort of happening with the crossover between movies and and the books. So we have, you know, things like or even just the movies and the shows, like with the latest season of The Mandalorian and my friends calling me like, who is Ahsoka and who is Grand Admiral Thrawn and what's going on? And then I'm like, OK, we got to now I got to explain this because because, you know, those parts of the narrative aren't evident at all times or things like not to keep going back to my boy Ben Solo. But we're going to do this really quick. That's fine. The, the fact You're that allowed. the fact that like every sympathy inducing thing about his life, every moment that indicates that Palpatine has been in his head since he was like in utero like that's how long it's been is all in the books and it's never once mentioned on screen so if all you're going off of is on screen what you've got is an extremely unstable adult with no reason to be that unstable beyond like a vague line here and there if you're not already invested because you just wanted to be like I was then you have no reason to be by the end of the series and you have no idea why he's come back to the light or why you should care. But then with the books, like, you know, these things get lost. They put those details in the books that never make it on screen. So mm-hmm. then take something like Light of the Jedi. If if you adapt that to the screen and somehow you find that you don't have the space to give Martian Rose backstory as much time as it needs and you don't get to see him go from being brutal to being really soft with Mari to being like broken when he talks to Loden. Like, I've decided he's broken. Maybe he's not. This is just how my villain fucker brain works. But, like, <laughs> like to him being, you know, a, a little more like the Jedi ruined my life. <coughs> if if not all of that gets conveyed, then we've got the same problem going forward where there are people who are like, Martian Rowe is complex and highly motivated and then people going, Martian Rowe is a scary space pirate with no character. Based mm-hmm. on the same story. That's where all this to say that if they yeah. do give us High Republic movies, that that I hope it is not. They can borrow characters here and there, but I hope it's not a direct adaptation of any of the books that come out. I, I would almost want them to do like the opposite of what they've already done. So um, and now let me explain because I just realized saying that out loud that that didn't make sense. <laughs> I feel so, like I know what you mean, but elaborate. So when we started with the original trilogy, we had like Luke, Leia, and Han, um, and their adventures, and and Darth Vader, and stuff like that, and then we got all the ancillary material around it. Well, we're starting with the, like, the books and the comics with the High Republic, so I would, I would love if we got movies, you know, we would still take characters like Avon, and Elzar, and all of them, but we would just give them a new story, opposed to having the story support them. So it's just like, yes, we if somebody walked into the movies without reading the books, they, that this would be their first introduction and it would work. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, cool. Give me a young Avar Elzar Stellan as like Padawan's about to become knights. Can you imagine that as a Disney plus show? Yes. I want it. I want it so bad. <laughs> I want it too. I, 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 I do agree with what you're saying. Um, I feel like it was, I still feel like it was very ballsy the first time we saw Maul and Solo. 
with and I remember being with my friend Paige after that movie and us were the only two in our group that had watched Clone Wars so we knew why Maul was alive and having to explain that I still feel that that can be very ballsy at times because it's that kind of corporate synergy where it makes people go how is Maul still alive what's this Clone Wars thing and at the end Mm -hmm. of the day they're still a business but I do feel like that corporate business side can be hindering as well such as Ben Solo's story, where if you want to find out more about Ben, then you have you have to get the books or just read Wikipedia. Um, like I shouldn't have to have a ready-to-go TED talk about Ben Solo every time he comes up. Obviously, outside of like my friends in the fandom, because I'm you have all heard it at least from me, if not from somewhere else. But yeah. I, I shouldn't like my my mother, for example, is not a passive viewer of Star Wars. Like she she will she pays attention. She's engaged. She's a nerd. So if I'm talking about him to her and her instinct is Ben Solo is heartless because he murdered his own father, that is a failure on the part of the filmmaker to make that clearer because it it's sort of there if you're listening for it and if like me. You all you have to hear is that this is the son of Han and Leia, and you are immediately invested in his redemption on that alone. And then you know the power of the performance takes it the rest of the way. If that's not you, then then nothing in the movie is going to make that you. Didn't you write this in an article? Yes. Over the Geeky Waffle. On the Geeky Waffle, I did. I like don't really dove into the books. Then I I even I even went to bat <laughs> for my boy Armitage Hux because oh my god. Although I will blame I will blame fan fiction a little bit for softening me on Hux, but but then the the thing about Hux too is that you've got him in episode seven, who is clearly meant to be like the Tarkin stand-in, like the cold, quote unquote, imperial, as opposed to Kylo Ren's more volatile force user. But then the books go out of their way to to give him a very tragic backstory, that sort of absolutely in my eye explain why he is the way he is and suddenly i don't find him as worthy of scorn as i did before because i'm like well what you're doing is horrific and i'm not here to justify the things you did because you did order the the bombing of the hosnian system but there are 30 years of your life leading up to that point that made that seem like that was the best way for you to live your life Mm-hmm. And the only way for you to be worthy of anything. That is honestly, and I personally believe the Star Wars works better as a television format. And I know I'm probably in a minority of that. And um, because, well, in general, I'm just not a movie person. I'm a television person. I enjoy the format of television more than I enjoy the format of movies. Um, and seeing just something like The Mandalorian or Clone Wars, or Rebels, and the kinds of stories that they can tell in a television format is why I'm so happy we're having... The only time I'll say I'm happy about coronavirus, because I feel like coronavirus has forced the people's hands to go to a more television format. I, I think that The Mandalorian would have been successful. I think it's it was even more successful because of the fact we're all in lockdown. So Mm -hmm. we can have that time to like be at home and like analyze these things. And I, I was just trying to imagine what that would even look like in a movie setting. And 
they could not do justice to Mando's story or Grogu's story in a movie setting. You're a hundred percent right. And I like I deeply enjoy ten out of eleven Star Wars movies. And like you're absolutely right. Like take take the original trilogy is because because you're right, because television works best as a character focused medium. Like movies are for big plot. TV is for character stuff. Yeah. And then the plot will will sustain throughout. Because like in the OT, what do we have? We have Luke, who is the hero. We have Obi-Wan, who is the mentor. We have Leia, the princess, and the only girl. And then we have Han, who's like the the, the scoundrel, the anti-hero, the, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we have like the droids and Chewie as like the sidekicks. No, none of them at face value need to be looked at any closer. And it's the same for episode five. And then, then we then we start to dive into like, oh, Vader is his father. And what does what is his legacy as a Jedi like for Luke? And then episode six comes around. And it's like, oh, Leia's his sister. And like Han, please note, never changes beyond becoming more fiercely loyal to the people he loves. He just becomes a stronger Hufflepuff. Honestly, like that's yeah. what he is. It's like, I don't even remember what book this was. I think it was. I think it was Bloodline. Maybe it was fan fiction, but I feel like it was Bloodline. Where, <laughs> like, now that I'm saying it, I'm not 100% sure this was canon. But but the thing about Han Solo is his biggest thing, he can act like t- Mr. Tough Guy all he wants, but his thing is how much he cares about other people. That's, I mean, honestly, that's one of the things I love so much about Solo. Like, he cares so much about Kira, who's like, I've moved on to this spiky boy who's red and angry and I love him. <laughs> That that is fan fiction. I don't know who I saw say this, that like, I think it was one of the writers or somebody was saying that Han Solo was in love with Kira until the day Leia came into his life. Like, because that's the kind of person Han Solo is. But that, that's stuff we've gotten over the years. (laughs) Like, the the thing is like, at, at its core, you do not need to dive in any deeper to the OT characters than you already do in movies. But then you've got this Vader element. It's like, oh, well, he's Luke's father. So how did that happen? That's where one, two, and three come in. But it's not one movie trying to explain Vader in addition to explaining a whole bunch of other things because he is the reason for those three movies. Granted, we have this complexity with Obi-Wan and we have Padme. We have all these other things happening. We have the Republic crumbling, which then ties back into what we're talking about here. But but the main thesis and the main purpose of the prequel trilogy is how does one good-hearted sweet boy become the scourge of the galaxy and at two and a half hours each that's about equivalent to to a mini series worth of television mm-hmm. to tell that one character's story so you're right like t- tv is the best format for that and if you're going to do it in movies you need to give it three whole movies so if you want to that's that's where we struggle with as much as I love episode seven and eight. That's where we struggle is we have we have Finn who whose complexity could carry a series on its own. Mm-hmm. Former stormtrooper joining the rebellion. We have Ray who is like the nothing scavenger from nowhere coming into her Jedi powers. We have Ben, the son of two heroes who has fallen to the dark. All of them are enough to sustain a trilogy on their own, and they're trying to tell that. Plus pay lip service to the 40-something-year-old fans. Plus tell a new story. Plus do this. Plus do that. And by the time you get to the ninth episode, never mind the fact that the director is trying to rewrite episode eight as he goes. Like, 
you're so stuffed full of so many things to resolve that you need a lot more time. And then, then you get things like the Rise of Skywalker that I truly didn't mean to go on a rant like that. I'm so sorry. No, I've, I've, because I do think this does tie back into sort of like what's going to become of the High Republic. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Star Wars Explain and listening to Alex talk about how he's missed having stories like this, where you have ongoing book stories that are just separate from everything else. And and I I haven't experienced that. I was not an EU kid. I've, I've picked up a few of the EU books. It's and I mean this in the most loving way possible. When I read EU books, it's like reading fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> those first two Thrawn books are a slog. Um, some of it is also just very dated 90s. Of like, I like Mara Jade, but she's very much like, I'm the loner in a cat suit. Don't talk to me. <laughs> she's, the, she's the manic pixie dream assassin. But yeah, I, I, will, I, do, I do think she's more complex than that but yes this is the perception i've gotten as somebody who hasn't read the books just based on the way yeah. they talk about her but on on two books i i'm just now getting below the manic dream assassin um just starting to get below that so um i guess above that we're getting more into her character um what was i saying future of the higher public yeah star wars explained so now that we're actually kind of getting this in canon, where we're going to be having these books carrying an entire new era um, with comics as well, but it's going to transition at least into, at the moment, one TV format, but could be more, and it could do that step up into movies. I I think that process is either going to be so successful or it's going to fail miserably like The Rise of Skywalker. And I don't really think there is going to be an in-between. No, I don't either. I think, what I think is, the reason they didn't announce more of this at Investor's Day is probably, first of all, they probably haven't greenlit anything yet. But I think the reason for that is that, like, the Acolyte, they say is the end of the High Republic. They're tying it corporately back to the books. When was the Investor's Call? It was January, right? I don't know. Time's weird I don't nowadays. Know was it January? Time. Was it six years ago? I don't even know. But it's like it was like I was like 2014, you know, when the Force Awakens came out. <laughs> so, at the point of the investors' call, if the High Republic books had come out, they had like just come out, like within a week or so. Yeah. So, them saying it's within 50 years of the High Republic, they are tying it back in to this thing that they've just launched, but it's also close enough to the events of the Phantom Menace that. It feels familiar enough to investors. So like, okay, conceivably we could see Palpatine. We could see Dooku. We could like, you know, yeah. like it's, it's close enough. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if the next time we have a big call like this, like maybe next year, that there is more High Republic stuff on the table purely because these three books, like Light of the Jedi, Into the Dark, and A Test of Courage, are all on the New York Times bestseller list and have been for weeks, which was not something I thought was going to happen. But... I- I was thinking that somewhere where they could actually tease more High Republic and put it in a visual form would be um, Visions, that hmm. kind of animatrix of Star Wars show that's coming. Yeah. Because we know it's going to be 10 different shorts. There's no reason why a couple of those shorts couldn't be High Republic. You're absolutely um, right. Wet, wet the public's appetite. 
These are mm-hmm. High Republic. And then people are like, what's the High Republic? Hey, there's books about it. And then that yeah. that generates more interest. And then if enough people are interested and they see that there's a market for it, because at the end money talks, then down the line, like, then we have our High Republic, high Re- like High Republic proper TV show, not like the Acolyte, which is like the tail end. I, I want to hope, and I say this as hope, like, I, I want to hope that they learned from the sequel trilogy of you have to go into stuff with a plan. And it feels like they have a plan for the High Republic, you know, having all the writers together in retreats. Um, it feels like they have a plan. But that being said, I felt like they had a plan through seven and eight. And then nine came out and I was like, oh, there was no plan. Okay. Um, because like the thing about seven is it, it's the thing is you have to have a plan. You have to let your story stand on its own. Like one of the things I love about the book so far is Yoda is barely in them. You would think that I mean I know he's in the comics. I think he's in the IDW, but he is not. Yeah, I, Yoda's that character that on one hand I really want to see because I feel like he is the touchstone character. Mm-hmm. How he is in the High Republic will then tell us where he goes to the prequel trilogy because he is the one character that we know from the two of them. And yeah. if he's just like this like, hey guys, I'm a Jedi and I am fast and loose and pew pew motherfuckers. Um, and then he goes to like, oh, I know the attachment's bad. You know, we can tell that there's a difference. But I like at the same time we have so little Yoda because of that and it's letting the rest of the everything else stand on its own but i totally interrupted you you were saying no that's exactly what it is is there's so little yoda that it is a familiar touchstone but you are letting all of these characters stand on their own the only familiar names i have seen so far are santeca who if you did not read the comics you don't even know what laura santeca's name is if you're looking at the movie it just does not come up and um avon Saros. Who, if you don't read the Afro comics, you have no idea. Like, truly, if you're not a comic reader, these names are not familiar to you. Yep. So, so you're genuinely letting this plot stand on its own. Where the with the sequel trilogy, like, I understand jumping into a story 30 years timeline-wise later, 30 years past the last point you checked in with everybody. Yeah, you're gonna expect to see some familiar faces, but. If you have that first movie be the pass off to the new generation, the next two movies need to solely be about their journeys. Mm. And I think eight does that very effectively. Like I was just prompted by the Mandalorian and by Ahsoka's introduction. My best friend and I just watched the entirety of Star Wars from the Phantom Menace all the way to the end, including all the shows chronologically. So Hope, I wanted to tell you this. I actually have seen all of Resistance now all the way through. (laughs) Isn't it great? It was... I actually love like season one i'm like this is about race cars and then season two i'm like i love this like by season two i was the further we got into season two the more devastated i got that there was no season three yeah i you know i i have the opposite effect i i love season one i think it's tight and succinct um and because it's so much of a slice of life show um and it's about the everyday it's about us it's about people and i I did not give season two a fair chance, which is why I'm really glad that we're going back through it again because of the fact I knew the show was ending. So I put this unfair heightened feeling on every episode going, this was a good episode, but the show's about the end. And, and, and that was a, my bad and I shouldn't have done that. So I'm really excited to redo season two, kind of like not putting that unfair feeling of like, 
why isn't this better? Where's the Because that's I, unfair. I have to say, I'm glad I didn't watch season two while it was airing. Because it finished, like, a month after The Rise of Skywalker. And if the last time I'd ever seen Kylo Ren on screen was him choking a lady out, I don't know what I would have done. Be- because he's one of my favorite characters. I just don't know. I was in I mean, such a bad place. Like, I, I've come to the conclusion that Resistance is a Star Wars novel brought to life. It um, is. That is that is the best way to put it. Is That's exactly what it feels like. It's just a little pocket of the galaxy of stuff that's happening. Yeah. Which is, like, that's what... Lost Stars is. That's what Master and Apprentice is. It's a pocket of the galaxy with Obi-Wan and, and uh, Qui-Gon. Alongside the story, but it is not. Yeah, like, it's it's a it's a Star Wars novel brought to life, and that's mm-hmm. what I um, really like about it. Um, the Dringera, they're evil plants, woo. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we could, we could talk about the overall structure of Star Wars all day, but the Dringera. Yeah, I, I think surprised I'm just, me. They, they did, surprised. they did. I I can't wait to see more of them because when I first thought saw them I was like they're evil plants but then like see like the moment that I was I was on the audiobook for that because I always if I drive I listen to the audiobook if I'm home I'm reading so like I the first time like once spoke I like hit my brakes really hard because I was like what do they sound like (laughs) what do they sound like oh god typical almost frankenstein monster but but more have you ever seen benedict cumberbatch and johnny lee miller's version of frankenstein no oh for one it's so good um but it's really hard to find because it was a play it was one of those fathom plays that they They put on actually they put it on youtube here earlier in lockdown i'm like i'm gonna watch it tomorrow and then I got busy, and then they pulled it off YouTube. But I can I can send it to you. I have it bootlegged. <laughs> we don't um, have to keep that in. <laughs> ah, it's whatever, Chris. We can lose that in there. Uh, <laughs> but but um, kind of like a very classic version that you would think that of Frankenstein, like in how they talk, but more vibrant i guess is the best way of putting it like there's a because you know the traditional like frankenstein is just like fire bad but like they have almost like if they broke out into shakespeare i'd be like yes they could um but so they have like this like very like rich vibrancy to their voice um But, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, I know it's not Mark Tart Thompson that did Into the Dark. It's the other dude whose name's slipping my brain. But he did a really good job with that one, too. Um, yeah, I, they took me by surprise. I'm, I still don't think that they're going to carry as much as the Nihil. No. But I could see them more being, like... Like with Clone Wars, like Dooku and Sidious are the bad guys, but then you have all the other separatist lackeys causing trouble over here. I think they're going to be the causing trouble over here, people. The Nile are the primary antagonists. The Drangir are the inconvenience. That's a good way of putting it. But I I remember when they announced it, because I was watching the the High Republic, like, panel to, like, cover for various sites, and they were... We're like, okay, so we have, you know, the Nile who are bad and they're just so bad and they're the worst. And we have Marcian Rowe, who's the worst guy in the galaxy. I'm like, so I love him. And then <laughs> I'm like, stop it, Charles. I'm sold. It's fine. Um, but then when they said, got to the Drangir, they're like these sentient flesh eating plants. I'm like, 
That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. My brain immediately went to like Little Shop of Horrors. I'm like, on, I'm like, so this is for the kids comic. Got it. Like, this immediately where I have, I'm like, this is for the kids because the Nile are too scary. And I decided that that's that's what the Drangir were. And then, and then Into the Dark happened, and did me not putting two and two together either about the Amaxine station and it was in the Kylo Ren comic didn't register that till I saw it online or about the fact that this is overrun with plants and hey this is a series that has sentient flesh-eating plants so when that happened and when we found out that they were like I guess the primary villains of Into the Dark that took me by complete surprise I I though I I was I feel like the table was set for something like the Dream Gear to happen because we've already had stuff like Loth Wolves and Loth Cats mm-hmm. and Bindus, but we really and, and was it Master and Apprentice maybe um, somewhere they had talked about how some plants are dark sided plants and might have been Master and Apprentice yeah yeah I, I feel like that's a Qui Gon where Qui Gon would be like this is a dark sided flower burn it <laughs> um what's it awesome Liam Neeson impression me and <laughs> <laughs> saw that I just self-high-fived myself uh, except for <laughs> but I feel like they've been setting the table um for a dark-sided plant since something nature um because we have all these like light-sided nature creatures and we have Bindu but we don't really have anything in nature that is the dark side and it's it's about time for it and you know, Star Wars is so much of just, like, human versus nature at times as well. But now it's like the nature has a way to fight back and it will eat you. <laughs> and everything is meat. And I, I, I'm really interested in that story of almost nature trying to try and reclaim its stake in the galaxy. Because just, I love Coruscant. Coruscant's my favorite planet. But reading in Light of the Jedi that you have Monument Plaza where there's just, like, 30 feet of a mountain that you can walk up and touch just says so much because you then visualize like the levels of Coruscant and knowing that they're around a mountain range. And I just, I I just sat with that for a long time. Um, And I would love, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I would love to see more of a story where like nature is trying to fight back its own stake in the force. There's a bit in, I think it's catalyst in catalyst where um, I uh, Lyra Urso mentions that there was a patch of Coruscant that was the, the original Coruscant like before they built the city and I think it gets overrun before the end of the book like they do they do build on it if I'm not mistaken before, I, before the end of the book right? Catalyst is on my, my list I've been wanting I, I've had it on my little audible list forever and I just haven't pulled the trigger on Catalyst yet the first time uh, I read it I thought it was boring the second time I read it I'm like this is this is a political thriller this is some like this is some West Wing shit right here like I'm I'm a slut for Krennic I love bitchy Imperials are my favorite Imperials and he has a cape which makes him extra he's bitchy so petty and I, I just, yeah yeah, oh, he's, he's like one of the best parts of that book. But I, I just know I would be sad over Galen. So <laughs> I just I didn't want to I don't want to be sad over Galen until I'm ready. Soft boy Galen and his over the top best friend Krennic. It's just I I absolutely write him and Thrawn as friends in my fan fiction because they would be just you know science like you Galen have the art. Or Krennic. 
uh, Galen and Thrawn. They would totally be Thrawns and uh, friends and Thrawns, <laughs> plural Thrawns. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where the Dren gear go. But I just, oh, good. No, I was gonna say I just love with the Dren gear that you know if we're gonna have dark side plants, go big or go home. They are so dark that the Sith are scared of them. Yes. That said, so the moment I read that, I was like, oh shit, this is bad. Like, they're not just dark. They're like, like fuck like the they're Sith real dark e- they don't even want to touch them Sith got there and they're like nope <laughs> if the Sith are noping out of a dark side scenario how dark is this like yeah and I think it's just the fact that they're so hard to kill too like I wonder if they can just like regrow because we have this cute like like we, we like to regrow like our onions and stuff like when we have green onions we'll always like regrow them and like our lettuce and stuff and all you need is a snippet to put it in some water and some soil and you can like regrow your vegetables in from, from your fridge everybody just so you know <laughs> and we enjoy doing that um and I was just like yeah man if you only have just like a snippet of a gear you could probably make a whole army like within like a few days or something. That's, that's crazy. If you take one drain gear and hack them to pieces, you've got an army. Like a Hydra. Yeah. Quite, quite literally like a Hydra. So one division. <laughs> anyway. This, no, this is not this podcast for one division. <laughs> no, 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 we're not. But I do think it's interesting that we've got this encroaching, colonizing, urbanizing force moving into the outer rim and the two things they're coming up across were the people who were here first and nature are the two things that are facing the Republic as they expand into territory that may or may not be theirs to expand into. It's almost like it's the empire in the original trilogy. Only they're doing it deliberately this time, which I Star Wars. It rhymes. (laughs) I love this song, like, or this poem, I guess, but yeah, (laughs) There once was a thing called Star Wars, and I'm not even going to try and do a limerick. I am too tired. <laughs> I, so to kind of wrap this up, I do want to take a moment to mention some of the side characters, because I would not do any justice if I did not talk about my boy, Leox Giasi, and Geode. And... I, I think that's one of the strengths of Into the Dark. Um, and, and probably the other reason why Light of the Jedi is not one of my favorites. I, because I, I like I love the plot of Light of the Jedi. But it's so packed with characters. And you don't... With being the first book... And I know you have to like kill some people to show how deadly everything that's happening is going on. But like... So, so many side characters, I can't even remember most of them. Like, like the really cool Nautilin captain who sacrificed himself for his crew to save them. I don't remember his name. I just thought it was cool. But something that Into the Dark did so well is they took the time with the side characters. It wasn't just about Wreath and Comac and Orla and Dez. It was mm-hmm. also about Leox and Geo and Affy and Nan and Haig and all of them. Yeah. Um and I and I think that a lot of the Jedi succeeded on a plot scale, but it didn't succeed as well on a character scale. And I think that's where Into the Dark and um Test of Courage. 
Thank you. My brain stopped. Um, I think that's where they're really picking up those pieces really, really well. Um, yeah, I feel like with that first hundred pages of Light of the Jedi that everybody talks about, which is when the great disaster happens, so many people that you just spent a chapter thinking were important die. Tayami, uh, she was one of them. Yeah. I, I was like, awesome, Duro's Jedi, because I've like I've been wanting like I always want more aliens in Star Wars. I feel like it's too human centric mm-hmm. at all times. That's why that's one of the reasons I love Resistance so much is it's such a Comedy. mix of everything. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I love the Duros. I was like, Duros Jedi, and then she died. And then for, like, afterwards, I was like, what was her name? And I had, I was thinking about this last night. I was like, what was that Duros Jedi that I really liked's name? And I was looking it up last night. I was like, oh, yeah, you. You died in the first 40 pages. But that's the thing. Do you find that you need to, that, like, by the time you got past those first 100 pages, your brain was no longer sure who was important and who wasn't, so you weren't retaining yeah. names as easily? Yeah. Which is why when when I talk about characters from this, like we've got Loden, Bell, Avar, Elzar, Stellan, and Martian. And and I guess Martian's a couple of Nile buddies. But the only yeah. reason I know those is because of the fic. Because I have to keep going back to check. I didn't know them till I wrote them down. Because you, you just have a hard time remembering these things. I, I think some of them, like once I got into that final third, I had a better idea here we go. When they started introducing the new characters in the corporate third of the book, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, the people who have made it to the corporate third, last third uh, are, are safe important. to remember. Yeah, they're safe to remember because then you have like Skier and Joram thrown in there and stuff like that. And so that, yeah, that to me was the biggest problem of Light of the Jedi is just there's, I really liked that husband and wife couple that was helping them out. I can't remember their names. Oh, the one that really wanted to go on vacation? Yeah, I liked them. I can't remember their names for the life of me. I just don't. Um, and I, I do think I wish that we got more of... I Because I really like the, the little YouTube videos that they're releasing. That's like, mm. like, these are the people of the High Republic. I actually wish we got those sooner and more of them. Yes. Because I, I am a very visual person. I... Which is why I often have trouble with, um, I to have trouble with reading, but that's not how I meant. Um, I find I can like process Star Wars books easier because I usually have faces to put with people. Um, right. And that was my one trouble. The High Republic is the only faces I knew were the people on the cover. So the moment that they like brought in like Burry, I was like, he's the Chewbacca one. Cool, <laughs> I'm good now. I know who you are. I know what you look like. And I wish they did a little bit more of that per- beforehand because I was constantly having to look up the photos. But oh, the, yeah. even then, they didn't have photos for everybody. And like, There's I don't no know. Photo who- for my boy Des. There's no art of Des. I I have a headcanon of what Des looks like. But Comac too. Comac, we don't have one. Do we not? Are we? You're right. We don't. We don't know what Comac looks like. Oh my God! I totally made him up. I'm like, and of course I, we do, but like, no, I made I made up what he looks like. He sounds like Yularen in the audiobook, but I think he's only like in his like 30s or something in Into the Dark or or something or like maybe like late 30, 40s or something. And so, but he sounds like Yularen, and so it's so hard for me not to see like a 65 year old man, <laughs> just based on his voice. Um, but yeah, I. I think Into the Dark did such a good job with its side characters because only Claudia Gray could get everybody to fall in love with the fucking rock. <laughs> like, okay. So, we gotta talk about for Geode. those of you that don't know, um, so the thing about Geode 
My is, listeners do know because I did go on a rant to Chris about Geode in our podcast. No, about the thing you drew? About the art? Oh, no, not that. Not that. So, Hope and I are talking about this, and I'm telling her that my favorite thing about Geode is that Leox and Affy will frequently say that Geode is out. He's a party animal. He's at the club. And at first you think they're kidding. And then when you realize that Geode can actually move around somehow, that they might not actually be kidding. So I'm explaining my very detailed vision of this to hope that Geode is just in the middle of a rave with the music bumping. And he's got like Mardi Gras beads on and everybody's dancing around him. So then Hope drew this for me. And it's one of my favorite things. Hope did not draw it to you. She put it in clip art on Canva. (laughs) But the fact that you put it together for me. Is just it's one of my favorite things. It's brilliant, and it's it's just his, it's hysterical. The idea that there's this rock that likes to go to clubs and and party, and I guess is a bit of a flirt. Like this is the impression I got. I was about halfway through into the dark, thinking that Geode was a drop bear. Do you know what a drop bear is? No. So um, uh, I I used to have a friend from Australia. And they would tell Taurus about drop bears, which was this, it was a koala that would f- jump on people's head and start attacking them. And they, they would call them drop bears. They're not a real thing. It's like a made up cryptid of Australia's that Australians tell Taurus to freak them out. And so I was under the impression that Affy and Leox was just so into this joke that Geode was fake, that they just would play this up and i i got to the point where i was like he has to be real or either these two people are insane (laughs) i thought they were kidding too i'm like maybe he's sentient but i don't think he moves he certainly doesn't go to the club but then but then geode starts moving around on his own and that moment where he goes into this like reese goes into the kitchen and geode's just there and reese just like And it's just such a great joke because, and it's not, I mean, it's something that actually would work quite well on screen if you never see Geode move and he's just kind of there. It's, it's such a good joke. Such a good joke. But we fall in love with this rack and only Claudia Gray could do that. Um, oh God. But I, I do have to like mention Leox because I, 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 I'm also, I'm, I'm also asexual and to, Finally, like to see a space ace and he's just such a cool character and he's like his own little business owner and he's Matthew fucking McConaughey because he he's based on Matthew McConaughey so in the audiobook he's that. he sounds like Matthew McConaughey they oh voice him to sound like Matthew and it's so good um but Leox is such a good character um I'm about to say a thing and I'm going off of other people's things. So I'm just putting that out there. And this is from somebody else who I know is asexual, which is uh, well, I, another fellow podcaster of ours. I shouldn't help people. Um, but she had been talking about Vi Marathi, And I haven't read any of the Vi Marathi books. But Vi comes off very cold and uncaring, apparently, in her books. And she's asexual. And they were talking about how that wasn't really good ace representation because it's a very much a stereotype that asexual people are cold or robotic or uncaring. And I didn't get that for a single moment with Leox. 
And I felt like, because I know people like Leox, I, you know, I went to school with people like Leox, but when he was talking to Affy about his sex life or lack thereof and why he just didn't, why it wasn't for him, I don't, I started crying, Arzu. I was like, this is my life. Like, that is me. Like, sex is fine and all, but I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't have an urge for it. And I'd rather do other things. And I I think that's the last thing about the High Republic that I'm really enjoying is how diverse it feels. You know, there, mm-hmm. as we mentioned, like, there's a lot of alien characters and we have, like, Wookiee Padawans and Duros Jedi and... Even though the story is still very human-centric, because pretty much the main characters are, like, Avon and mostly human. But to have those, like, starting to have those variations. Like, we have Venestra, um, who is still very human, but at least she's a Miri Allen. And then we have Loden, who is still very human, but he's a Twi'lek. Like, I... And, of course, we got the space gaze being with the Santeca. Like, it feels more like our world, than mm-hmm. previous Star Wars. And it doesn't feel like it's a woke thing. It doesn't feel like them just going, like, look how diverse we are. Like, it just feels natural. And I think that says a lot about the writing team as well, with people yeah. like Justina and Daniel and just just everybody involved with the process. And That's I'm true. rambling, thoughts. <laughs> no, but, but you're right, because, like, a lot of the... A lot of the sort of OT-era books... Like, one thing Thrawn did really well is they they canonized the reason you don't see aliens in the Empire. And it's because the Empire is xenophobic. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. But then the problem is then when you set books in that era and you need to involve the Empire in some way, your main characters more often than not will wind up being human because they can't infiltrate otherwise. Yeah. Like, they can't they can't get involved. So... Like, the prequel era has a little more of that diversity. The sequel era, frankly, I don't know what the excuse is. That they are all human. All the, oh, but then again, they, they could barely handle the characters they had. I don't... Yeah. And, like, truly, most of these characters I adore. I love 66% of the sequel trilogy. But, like... I, I think so much of it is also just budget. You're like, I understand that. Like, aliens are, you know... More expensive. But. Live-action Ahsoka is very expensive, probably, to do. Versus, you know, let's just say Pedro in a helmet. Um, and Grogu is, what, like a, like a multi-million dollar puppet? <laughs> very expensive puppet slash CG project. But yeah, but I, I, I do agree. Like, there I is a tendency, I think, to forget about... Sorry, about, about the aliens. Like, mm-hmm. I'm certainly guilty of this. So... I like that it's just part of the fabric of the story. It just is what it is. I think that's where animation can really get away with that because you don't have to worry about makeup and, and like prosthetics and, and mm-hmm. stuff where you can have a character like Hera Syndulla and Hera is just who she is and she can be fully who she is because they don't have to worry about like, oh no, her lucku fell off while we're while filming. Oh God. Um, like if they wanted to tell, to tell that story live action... Hera would have been a human, and probably so would Zeb. Yeah. Oh, God, just Zeb's legs alone would have been, yeah. like, a Jim Hansen stilts project. Like, it, it would have been, like, this, like, weird, like, the, like you see at, like, conventions when people, like, cosplay satyrs. Like, it had those, like, weird yeah. backward stilts. Um, yeah, and so I, 
I was thinking about Orca and Flitzes and Orca's knees go backwards. <laughs> like that would have been like such a mm-hmm. such a thing to yeah. bring into live action. Um, but I like that. It, it doesn't feel like it's forced in the High Republic. It just feels like a very natural fit. It really does. It doesn't. It feels like it's what Star Wars should be, which yeah. is why I'm scared about moving it to television and or movie screens. Yeah. I think if that happens, it's definitely going to be less of a less less of a diverse alien story. And I just I think it's just a fear of losing connections with the audience because I was actually reading um, and I haven't played Fallen Order, but I'm secretly obsessed with it as someone who has not played it. <laughs> it's so good. It's as somebody who's not a gamer, it is so good. I, um, Cal was originally supposed to be an alien and a woman. Oh. Yeah. And they chose that their excuse that they didn't make him as alien is that they didn't think audience would be able to connect with him. And I'm looking over here and going, Ahsoka Tano, Harrison Dula, Zebrelios. <laughs> like, that just means that you need a, you need a stronger writer because it's been done in Star Wars, you know? You can have alien characters who can carry a story and be, you know, Zeb, Zeb I'm such so biased towards Zeb. I named a whole fucking cat after him. <laughs> not, not half the cat, the whole cat. <laughs> not just um, the front half, the whole cat. I don't, I don't know. He's, he's pretty fat. So he's like four, he's like two cats put together. So <laughs> he's so fat. Um, where was I going with this? Zeb. Um, Zeb is such a compelling character to me. And he's my, he's actually my favorite character of Rebels. I, I think he's underrated. Um, because he, he just has so much emotion. But I think he could have been so much more with and I don't want to say better writers but if they, they they took the time to write him so when I hear things of like Fallen Order like and I, I, this is not a knock on Cal Kestis because he's a fantastic character um but the fact that their excuse was they didn't think that he, people would connect with him if he was aliens is just the weakest excuse find yeah. fucking better writers then because it's been done in Star Wars and that's just a poor excuse at this point I agree like, so. as much as I adore, adore Cal Kestis, like, I'm like, I'm going to play this because it's going to be fun and I'm going to learn a, I'm, learn a story. I'm going to hear a story. And clearly I'm taking an academic approach to Star Wars because I'm learning at this point. I'm like, I'm going to hear a cool story. I'm going to play a game. It's going to be fun. And I'm in tears by the end of the game because it's, you really, like, grow very close to Cal Kestis, but there's no reason that an alien or a woman or female alien or whatever could, could not have carried Cal's story. There's no reason. Mm-hmm. So, but that's I, I mean I'm so excited about that about the High Republic. I'm just very no I'm nervous about going forward with uh, that. A lot of the cool steps they're taking is going to get lost when we start getting into. Um, I also noticed that a lot of the characters that died uh, were the alien Jedi, not the human Jedi. I don't think we lost a single human Jedi. Is Jorah not? She's Tegrudin. Why did I think she was human? Clearly, I'm not paying attention. Okay. Right? I, I, wait, I I don't, be... You're probably right. I don't... That's my human-centric brain. I default everyone to human. Like, when I write fic, I have to consciously make sure that I'm putting aliens in there or I just won't. Because I, I, I will forget. Sure, Molly. 
Was it Tigridan female Jedi of the Master Order? Yeah. Yeah, I think all the Jedi that died were all aliens. Like, I know Tiami was. Um, and I can't think of a single human that died in the books what so far. Ver- so. Uh, Vernestra's master. Is he not human? That's Stellan. Or St- your, your, your Obi-Wan not, love not child. As, sorry, not Stellan. The, the other... Emery's master, not Vernestra. Oh, Douglas. Uh, I think Douglas was... Oh, you're right. I think Douglas was human. You're right. I think... Uh... My boy Stellan Geos is alive and well. <laughs> Douglas. I just love his name is Douglas. I was thinking about, I was joking with uh, this the other day with um, my friend and <laughs> we were, we were doing our role play and my character was like, you know, Anakin like has, is how could there be more than one Anakin? So he's like, yeah, it's not a very common name in this galaxy. Like Luke. <laughs> and I'm like, I want more just like Bob's the Jedi. Like give me like, those Lukes. I don't need I don't need uh Erica's to be spelled like Y R I C K. Give me like hi, I'm Bob. And I <laughs> That's other than Luke and Leia, like like there's something wrong with Luke and Leia's name and I get Ben, I guess. But other than them, like Everybody has stupid Star Wars names. <laughs> hi, I'm Bob the Jedi. <laughs> Master Bob. Give me Master Bob. <laughs> 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 all right arzu um is there anything else you want to talk about for the moment about the high republic one last thing that i liked back okay. to claudia gray and her ability with side so. characters is affy mm-hmm. and her plot the part that interested me the most was not her sort of falling out of dis- out of love i guess being disillusioned by her foster mother but the fact that she learns partway through the book that her foster mother is involved in some sort of indentured servitude, borderline slavery. And then she sort of starts to take that Star Wars approach of I'll do something about it someday, which is what frustrated the hell out of me about Queen's Shadow. And I know E.K. Johnson's hands are tied because you cannot resolve the slavery problem on Tatooine when it has not been resolved in the story. You can't you can't fix that in the book. But it's yeah. so frustrated me that you bring that up knowing that it can't get solved. So Affie learning that her foster mother is involved in this turns her into the cops and crumbles that system right away. Oh, it was so good. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> She's like, I can't do anything about it. I can wait, but they can't. And I'm like, what? Are we are we doing this? And then she does this. And I'm like, yeah. this is gonna have ramifications. I am here for it. Like so yeah, I just loved loved that they went there because there's no telling what we can and can't do. We don't know the end point of these people's lifetimes. And that's where I just, I also, I loved how supportive that Leox was. It's like mm-hmm. a very warm, like, space ace big brother is just like, I, I have your back no matter what happens. And if we lose our jobs, then we'll just start over, man. It's fine. <laughs> I love, I love their, their relationship, like mm-hmm. Affie and Leox. The moment that, like, Cause, especially because Leox, he was so laid back the entire the entire time. But the moment that he realized that, like, Appy was in danger, he picked up his fucking blaster, and he was and he was so aware of it, too. He was like, I don't pick this up lightly. This is not a pew-pew fun blaster. He's like, if I pick this up, I am prepared to kill a person. Mm-hmm. And he picks up that blaster, which was such a good moment. It's what, you know, respect, responsible gun, overs, gun, over, gun owners should be doing every time. Um, but 
he was not going to leave that station until he found her because that was his family and it's a mm-hmm. found family um geode and all of them and everything even geode smushing wreath which is we were talking beforehand um and so uh, i don't know if this is recorded if we were talking beforehand <laughs> but that's that's my biggest concern of the high republic is i don't want to lose these characters um especially these side characters i mm-hmm. especially because it feels like wreath really hit it off with the vessel crew it feels like they're going to be um sorry i just got a text was just like congratulations hope this is the most clearly spam text i've ever seen it's like you've won earbuds from amazon touch this link and i was like nope that seems legit <laughs> I don't like Amazon. I, I have to be in desperate need to use Amazon because I will take a bat to Jeff Bezos if I ever had a chance to. Um, uh, what was I saying? But I don't want to lose them because it feels like they like Reef had made friends with these people. It yeah. it feels like they are connected. The fact that the two married couples in from Light of the Jedi that I can't remember their names are getting side stories in the Star Wars Insider books or magazines. I would hope that we're keeping hanging on to some of these side characters. That including but, uh, Santeca? I, don't know, I would assume so. Cool. I don't. Yeah, but like Kevar, Kevin, whatever his name was, like the smart nerdy guy during the Cataclysm that like With made his own satellite system. Yeah, yeah, like he was a really cool character. Yeah. Hope we don't lose him because I, I keep thinking. I was thinking back to some of the novels and like we haven't seen Cyan and Thane. You know. It's because we're waiting for Claudia to drop Lost Stars too. But there's no reason to not bring those characters into, say, the comics. And th- I have this issue with Resistance. There's no reason to bring not bring Resistance characters into, like, the original trilogy stories. You know? Right. We know that Doza and Griff were in the Empire. We know that Yeager and Vanessa were in the Rebellion. There's no reason not to bring them forward. But I don't want to... I, I was thinking about, like, Pax and Rahara from Master and Apprentice. Those two characters were so fascinating to me. They were so good. I loved their romance. I they like they were so much of that book to me, and we haven't seen them since. So I am just so scared we're gonna lose characters. Like I, I think Geode stands have like kind of cemented Geode in this time period. I I, I don't see us losing Geode and Leox and, and Affy anytime soon because people have just really loved them so much. But like other side characters. I'm scared we're gonna lose them. I yeah. I could see us never coming back to them, and I think that would be a shame to not develop everybody around the Jedi and the Republic and the Night Hill as well. I agree. I, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Mm. Yeah, just because like it, it's it's a lot of characters, but it's also a lot of books, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping at least it looks like other than my boy Stellan Geos getting his moment in the sun, um, with Rising Storm, um. In the other books, the young adult and the, what am I thinking, the middle grade book that are coming out, it looks like those are the same characters we have already seen. So I feel like they are getting cemented. Hopefully the characters that are in their periphery are also being cemented in the story. Because, because yeah, like, it, it's a shame for us to have invested this time in them and then to not continue with them. But I, but I also don't see why not, because it's not as though they're trying to pull in from existing movies and TV shows. This is a whole new era. Yeah. And th- listen, I did a count for my Geeky Waffle article. I don't know if I wound up quoting it in the article, but just to see how many are like prequel trilogy era, original and sequel trilogy era book wise. 
there are twice as many original trilogy era books as there are either of the other two. It is there is it it outnumbers the prequel and sequel trilogy era books by a significant margin. So Star Wars like deals in familiarity. And I hope that they, uh, while I usually criticize that when it comes to the eras for which we have films, because I think we do need more prequel and sequel trilogy content in book. I hope that they do stick with that tendency to be familiar with the High Republic so that they, they keep building on these characters that we've already met. We don't need a huge roster. We need to really know these characters. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, that was the whole issue I had with Lender of the Republic. There was just, we didn't have enough time with everybody. So people got lost and I callously didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. I just didn't. I, they yeah. all be died and I was like, you're cool, but I don't care that the person beside you died too. Like with the, with the, a test of courage and into the dark, the dark. I like really glommed onto the characters and the plot was secondary. Like the plot was a get out of this environment plot. Really, for both of them. That's all the story was. While also sort of learning to deal with grief and what it means to be a Jedi, what it means to be who you are. Which I think they both did very, very well. But with Light and the Jedi, my primary focus throughout the whole thing was the overall plot. because, And then like the few characters that we did get quite a bit of, like Ava and Elzar, like Marcian Rowe, like those are the ones I glommed onto. And Loden and Bell, just be- because they're the ones we see the most. Yeah, and it's a time there thing. are all these other side characters, but I'm like, you didn't get enough time for me to care, which is a shame, I think. Like, I care a little bit, but I don't care as much as I should have at the end of a 400-page novel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to kind of wrap this up, I'm going to yeah. ask you two questions. Okay. And and they can be... My brain stopped. I'm going to ask you two questions. <laughs> So the first question is, so far, what has been your favorite piece of the High Republic? And the other question is, what has been your favorite character and why to both? Okay, so favorite piece so far of the High Republic is Into the Dark. Um, Because first of all, I'm biased and I love Claudia Gray. Like, I had to rank her books one to five and I'm like, this is really just... (laughs) Sophie's Choice! Uh, is honestly though I'm like this is a matter of I think the way I wound up organizing it is which one I cite the most when talking about Star Wars and that that was just how I organized it because it's truly there is no one way to isolate your favorite Claudia Gray but so first of all because it's Claudia Gray and also because they are just she really makes you care about the characters this book devastated me in a way that I don't think books like, I don't remember a Star Wars book ever devastating me in this way, the way Into the Dark did, because of, like, what happens to Des, and because of the relationship between, like, Affy and Leox, and because of Orla and Comac's backstory, and Reese's whole thing, and, like, you know, what does it mean to, to grieve your master? And then, oh my god, when they get into sort of the, like, Orla's, Orla, right? Orla's whole thing about, I didn't listen to the will of the Force, I listened to the will of the Cat council and look where it got me and her disillusionment with the jet like this is the place where you really truly feel like we sort of know things are going to go wrong but into the dark is where we start to see how it's going to go wrong yeah and that's what i like about about into the dark and then to your second question 
favorite your character. Your favorite character so far in the High Republic. Okay. It is Martian Rowe, but um, it's not just because of the wall arms. <laughs> not exclusively, but it, it is that thing where I, I find that villains tend to be better written overall. Not that any of this is poorly written, but they, they tend to be better written because they are more highly motivated. Like the the heroes will always be heroic when you when you first meet them. And it's it's a question of principle and it's a question of whatever, but villains feel as though they have nothing to lose and they sort of live at the extreme. What, and I'm what is... I'm like of all of them, I understand why Martian is the way he is more so than anybody else. So that's why. What's that quote? Um, gosh, a, a hero will... Oh, what's that quote? A hero will follow the laws and the rules and accept that they won't get that last kiss. Oh, a yeah. villain will burn the gal- the world down to just to get that last kiss. Yeah, that's what it is. But then that's, that's the thing, too. Yeah, for the hero, saving the world will always come first. But but the villain will burn the world down for something like like a kiss goodbye. So that's why Vader's entire story. That is quite literally Vader's entire story. That is the whole purpose of Charles Soule's run of Vader is him trying to save like that final moment of trying to save Padme. Just one more moment of getting her. And like, maybe canonically Marcian Rowe doesn't want to burn the world down for a kiss goodbye. Canonically, I say again, Ask me if you want more information. But, like, but but for, for like, okay, Orla or Komak or Wreath or, not Vernestra, Imri, or, like, any of these Jedi who have lost their masters to the Nile, to the Great Disaster, to whatever, they throw themselves further into the Order, into what the Jedi want of them. They won't either won't let themselves grieve or they won't let themselves grieve in a healthy way. Whereas Martian, like, lost his family somehow and maybe it's not the healthiest way to cope by burning the galaxy to the ground but damn it if i don't understand that inclination yeah um i just wanted to note this because i don't think the people are talking about it enough but i i think that people need to be talking more about the showdown between emory and vernestra because that that was a good moment yes. where he's falling to the dark side and the moment she takes out her lightsaber and she's like you want to find me Let's go, Padawan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, yes. I am I, terrified to see how their dynamic builds now that he's her Padawan. Like, they're so close in age. I, 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 yeah, I, okay, I, I do. Before I answer the question that I just asked you, I do want to touch on Vernestra Rowe a second because I want to see her. And, and this is, this is not a fault of Justina's writing. It's a fault of it being a middle grade book. And that's not even a fault because it's a middle grade book. Um, I think that Vernestra could be really interesting in a YA setting because where I really enjoyed seeing her in A Test of Courage was, I feel like I'm doing like the aliens and aliens. (laughs) Um, I really enjoyed seeing her, those quiet moments when she's alone and she's like, I'm 16 years old doing the job of a 30 something. And I want to see her more like, you know, what if she's with other Jedi Knights and they're all in their 30s and 40s and she's 16. Like that interests me. I'm going to be in the next 
in the next YA book. Okay, good. Because I feel like she didn't get to be that role because she was the oldest in a middle grade novel. So Mm -hmm. it's set up to her to just playing the leader role where I want to see her in a peer role with when her other peers are Jedi Knights twice her age. Maybe that's partially intentional because she's put... Yeah, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No, I I think it is partially intentional because I think that's going to make her a very fascinating character because Vernestra felt a little one note to me, but I feel like it's just the, the situation of she's the oldest with a group of people younger than her. So it's, and it's just, and everybody, and and so she had to have her shit together. Mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't allowed to not have her shit together. And so I want to see her in a role where she doesn't have her shit together. And now she has a paddle on two years younger than her. Like what the fuck? (laughs) Like I'm just, I'm so scared for this child. And because Vernestra is a child, she is 16. 16 She is a child. Yeah. And doing the job of a 30 something. And I like I have a 17 year old cousin. I'm trying to imagine her occupying the same role in society as I do. And I just I can't. I I have a 17 year old nephew or niece and and a six year old niece. And I I, you know, I have nieces and nephews teenage age and I cannot imagine them doing what they what she does. And I could almost see her. If I had to pick one of them to go to the last 20, I see it being Vernestra. I could just see her having so much pressure put on her as a prodigy. 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 (laughs) Fucking Game Grumps. (laughs) Game Grumps has this whole thing about swapping the word prodigy and prodigy. And now just that's all I could say now wrong. Um, Fucking Game Grumps. Um, But like I could just see so much pressure put on her and like her having to play this role and like taking on a Padawan too soon. And like because I was surprised when Skier was like, yeah, take that boy on as your Padawan. And I was like, excuse me, what? Sir, you are recovering from an injury. Don't give advice right now. Like, yeah. 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 Like that, the, that, that chunk was so fascinating to me because I'm, really interested to see her in a setting where she could be more internalized. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think we got, I think we're just scratching the surface of Ernestra and I think she's going to be a really powerhouse character. And I mean, powerhouse as in terribly dramatic. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I think maybe what they did with Ernestra, they set her up in the middle grade book. She's the oldest character there. So if you are, a child in middle grade reading this. She's 16. She feels She's like cool. a grown up. Yeah. But if you're an adult and you're like, okay, you're 16. As the oldest one here, naturally, okay, you're assuming the leadership caretaker role. But then when they move back into society for her to retain that role, like any adult that's read this book takes one look at her being taking on Emery as a Padawan going, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's just a bad idea. So then when you throw her into a YA book, where everybody's a little bit older and everybody is sort of around that same age. Now you're really reckoning with what a bad idea this is. And I, I was, I want to see her with people like Reith and Bell, cause I think they're both older than her and they're Padawans. Yeah. And I think no, that's Reith is younger than her. Reith is 15. Oh, I thought he was, I thought he was 19. No, Reith is like 15. He's oh, friends okay. with Imri. The two of them are friends. Oh, okay. Then wait, how old is Bell? Like, 18? Okay. Then, yeah, I want to see her with, like, someone like Belle, who's older than her. And what does that do to somebody when they're older than you, but they're still a Padawan, and that relationship vice versa? 
Yeah. God. I'm trying to like trying to get confirmation that she is in fact in the young adult book, the next one. I, I don't forgot know. what I, it's I will, called. I will for forever be messed up remembering that Obi-Wan is like a Padawan in the Phantom Menace, but he's like twenty-five. <laughs> poor boy. He just, you know, let him be at night at twenty-five. It almost feels like he got held back like five grades. <laughs> Well, he keeps he keeps going. I'm ready, and Qui Gon's like, "Are you?" And he's like, "But seriously, he's like, but are you?" So. No, Master. <laughs> Fine. Out of the shadows. That's what it's called. Yeah, it's about Vernestra. So that's that's the oh. young adult one. Oh. Oh, 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 I want it. Um, to answer my own question, I think for me, I like the plot of Light of the Jedi best. But I like the characters of Into the Dark. I really just... Claudia can ride a rock that I fall in love with. Um, Quite literally. Yeah, and I think with Into the Dark, it made me really rethink. and con- Like, we, we got hints of the Jedi and how they are in the High Republic. But seeing them actually in action and spending time with them, and, like, I... I, I actually i really hate the 25 years in the past segments i i that's my least favorite parts but i do enjoy the character work of them um but just the vessel crew god leox leox means i we joke about geode all the time but honestly leox just means so much to me to just see him and hear him in the audiobook and just he got me. Like, I fell in love with that character, and um, I get very emotional thinking about him and what he represents and how he's going to make all the little baby gays like me happy. <laughs> and I just, yeah. But if, oh gosh, if I had to pick a favorite character. It's a toss-up between Leox and Loden. I really like Loden. Um, I like that sass. I love sassy Jedi. And oh, yeah. I love... And the fact that he's like, all right, Belle, I'm going to teach you today. Are you ready? Yes, Master. And he throws Jump. him off a fucking... Just throws him off a cliff. <laughs> like, I love him. He's so good. Um, and that he's, like, this great Blade Master. And, like, you know... Um, He's just so cool. He's so cool, and I'm so scared for him. And I'm like, I want him to be okay. <laughs> and I, as much as I love Martian, and I think Martian's a fantastic villain, and I can't wait to get more of him. Um, Leox got me really emotionally, and I think Loden was that kind of almost Kanan-like Jedi. And Kanan's my favorite Jedi of, of all time. He's a very Kanan-like Jedi, and I like him. And... It's a toss-up between those two and Martian being a little, like, right behind them. Because I really do like Martian, too, so. Well, Arzu, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to do it again maybe once a few more books come out. Yeah, over the summer, once once round two is out. Absolutely. I actually, I was, like, binge reading, like, Tessa Courage. I was like, must finish this because I want to talk to Arzu about it. Um, but if you don't have anything else to say, where can people find you? 
Okay, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Arzu Amin. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, if that's your thing, at ArzuD2. And also at my own website, uh, ArzuD2.com. Those are the best places to find me. So all the waffle stuff, the Beyond Blaster stuff, that all gets posted to my Twitter. So, And so to, I'm trying to get better about posting my book reviews on Twitter, too. So if you want to keep up with me, that is Twitter's the best place to do it. Well, oh gosh, I, oh no, I have to say all of Chris's stuff too. He's not here. Okay. <sighs> and I don't have to You can do it. Friend. I believe in you. Um, you can find us at twotruefreaks.com. That is our website. We are in the process of redoing, of, um, of making a new website, which takes time. And we understand that our RSS feeds keep breaking because of it. But, you know, when you've had a website that's been around since 2008 and we have over 5,000 shows in our network, it takes time to move all those over. So uh, you can find us at 2TrueFreaks.com. Our Twitter account is at 2TrueFreaks, which is run by our good friend, Jane Jean, the podcast machine. Jean, I promise you it's a thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we sing it every time. Um, and we also have the 2TrueFreaks Facebook page and the 2TrueFreaks Cantina. The Facebook page is where we post episodes and the Cantina is where we hang out. That's all Chris's stuff, right? I guess. Also, check out Chris's audio drama with the Akadekadonagon Theater, uh, where they are currently doing Strangers in Paradise by Terry Moore as an audio drama. Uh, so that's cool, and he's very passionate about that, and so he's doing a good job with that. That was for you, Chris. All right, and you can find me at JGuysAndJedi. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molinax. Chris and I have another podcast called Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, where we talk about animation. We are finishing up Gravity Falls, and we're going to be starting Avatar the Last Airbender very soon. Um, Chris is watching Avatar for the first time, so I'm very excited about that. Right. He's never seen it before, so I'm very excited. Um, and, of course, my website, geekygirlexperience.com. Wow, it seems like so much when I have to say both of our stuff. Jeez. But you did it. <sighs> With no notes in front of me. Anyway. All right, you guys. Thank you, Arzu, so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to. I'm excited to do this again. I, yeah, and then we can get even more thirstier, and we can have, like, you know, we can go, and hopefully by the next time we talk, we'll have a picture of Martian's face. Can you yes. imagine? Watch that be, like, the like the next issue of High Republic Adventures. Like, he pulls off the mask, and it's just like, na 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 And, like, the music plays and swells, and, like, not, you know, it'd be the one time that, you remember those books as a kid, and you, like, push the button, and the book plays music? You know, they had, like, your they had a little button. voice panel on the side? Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. push the button. That's what the uh, High Republic number three is going to be. It's going to come out with that, and it's just like, push here when Marcion takes off his hair, or takes off his hair. <laughs> just rips the wig right wig off, off his head. Takes the wig off and then throws it, um, and you push that button, and, like, music will swell and play, and it'll be, like, this, like, very romantic music, and then jump into, like, what, rec punk is what it's called or something. It's called rec punk, that's right. So good. All right, my dear. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. You can say bye, can say bye too. I don't know. Did you want the last word? Bye. I don't care. <laughs> You're the guest. Some people like the last word. I don't fucking care. We are the most laid back podcast, whatever. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. 
you can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. That is freaky.